my 64, my Commodore 64. I sing with it, write with it, figure my path to flight with it, my Commodore 64. I rate with it, create with it, telecommunicate with it, my Commodore 64. It costs less than 230 pounds. And don't forget, it has the enormous Hello and welcome to episode 1. To episode 25. Episode 42. Episode 66. Episode 85. Episode 99. My name is Adrian Mills. I am joined as ever by my good friend and co-host Graham Raddings. This is a podcast that focuses primarily on games that were released for the Commodore 64. Welcome to Zap to the Past, episode 100. Welcome to episode 100 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings and a cast of others. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 41 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with and were greased by Dizzy, left with a painful ninjury in Last Ninja 2 and admired the pine trees at night in Night Racer. This week, we continue our look at the games in September 1988, along with what singles were released that month. So, Graham, fill our ears with all the games that will be sampled this week. In this massive 100-serving, catering-sized tin of spaghetti hoops of an episode, we upgrade our shootiest spaceship to 11 and blast everything that approaches us, sine wave or not, in the brilliant side-scrolling shoot-em-up, Salamander. Explore the drab and dreary world of a dangerous overrun soap bubble factory looking for a lost logo. In the confounding I-Zero, take two steps forward and 23 back as we shoot forwards and go backwards, as well as zoom around the walls in the tragic Blood Brothers and grab our snow speeders, not our snow speedos, to fly and zoom around the jerky 3D vectors of the planet Hoth, seemingly at night, looking to take down the AT-ATs in The Empire Strikes Back. Are your spaghetti hoops also covered in a suspiciously orange tomato sauce? We also head to the Incan temples of Peru on the quest for gold, diamonds and the exit as we blast and scoot around the interesting levels of Netherworld, jump in a video game time machine and set the time control to ages ago and the game type to crappy as we explore the moon patroller-like sand dunes of Beach Buggy Simulator, get to grips with a kind of outrun-looking pole position come Spy Hunter inspired but ultimately blocky and bland 8-bit version of the Atari Arcade Road Blasters before finally grabbing our Magic Knight outfit, again, and getting ourselves back into some kind of chronological game order in the dreary Wanderthon nighttime. 100 episodes in, and we're still getting to play some dreary old tosh. However, there are actually some good games in this episode, and you will learn things, things you can use. Mm, sample-tastic. 
Delish. The, mm. There's some interesting oh, lovely. ones there. Absolutely. But yeah, it's episode 100, Graham. 100. Episode 100. Quite, th- quite the thing, really, isn't it? It is quite a big thing. 100 episodes of this podcast has been. Really As is. the very elaborate intro to this particular episode will have ably demonstrated, by the way. <laughs> um, um, and for those that are wondering what that amazing soundtrack is at the beginning, I am not going to tell you right now. Um, because that would give it away for Adrian, who's not heard it yet. I haven't um, heard it yet, Trust no. me, it's epic. It's is it? epic. Epic and very, very relevant. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Okay. It is. Uh, 100 uh, episodes. This Crazy. is a big surprise to me. You know, I'm always, no, I always I, like a nice surprise. Not like well, that, I went, back but... and, I went back and listened to episode one, um, just as an interesting aside, uh-huh. um, where it's quite clear that we're not quite sure what we're doing. <laughs> um, we've, we've so obviously I say got, we still know, don't. We've got ninety nine better now. Ninety nine <laughs> better. better, but uh, yeah, yeah ninety nine better, but something in one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's episode hundred. We've got stuff going on. So it's not just us. We've got comments from other people. Some people mm. have sent us messages. Some people have given us recorded recorded clips. We've got guest stars. All we have some amazing people involved in yeah, this. Yeah. Amazing people. So amazing. Hopefully, hopefully you like this. This is, you know, it's a bit of a celebration. Woo, 100. Um, Woo. But also as well, you know, just the usual stuff. So we've got loads of games, eight games, singles um, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I think this is going to be quite a chunky episode. So should we just get into it? Should we just get into our yeah, games? Yeah, let's just get into it because you're going to get value for money out of this episode, let me tell I you. I think you might well. So let's get into our first game. And our first game this week is a 94% sizzler. It is Salamander. Salamander. And I have a question to start off with for myself. How did I miss this? How did I miss this? Seriously, Mm. one of, if not, my favorite arcade shooter. And some issues aside, which we'll talk about, this is a great port to the only computer I had at the time. It got a great review in a magazine I was still reading at that point. And it completely bypassed me. I don't know. How did that happen? I just have no idea. I mean, I, I started trying to think, what was I doing in September 1988? And I just started sixth form. The C64 was being replaced by, I was playing a lot of board games. So it was I getting think, into amateur dramatics. I was well. getting into amateur dramatics as well. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, it, I think it was the uh, barbarian from Rastan that, uh, you know, in, you know, <laughs> <laughs> forced me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I think. <laughs> With all that, this being a multi-load as well, so uh, I, I didn't have a lot of money back then, and so probably what money I had was going elsewhere. I, I couldn't get a copy of this, should we say. I couldn't source this from my usual sources, which was Gary. Yeah. So I just, I just never got hold of it. So I don't know. I just never played this on the C64. So here we go. It's the first time I've tried this. Salamander. What is Salamander? <laughs> so the plot, I'm gonna I'm just going to take a bit of a left field turn here because there's a plot right for the salamander this is according to the gradius wiki so the gradius wiki puts the plot as this lattice was a planet covered by water with a beautiful sparkle there a prophecy of fire has been passed down since a long time ago thousands of light years away when a giant dragon born and living in a sea of flames wakes up a crazy force will approach swallowing heaven and earth in the darkness and eventually breaking the light here in planet lattice the bacterian cluster continues to spread beginning its invasion with the salamander army the lattice army however didn't have any way of fighting against salamander the prince of lattice threw himself at battle with the space-time fighter lord british named after himself and requested help from the planet Gradius, which was said to have faced and defeated the Cluster's forces before. The Gradius army receives British's distress call. Extending their support, they fly to the Salamander army's mother star, 
Super Space Time Fighter Vic Viper launch. Blimey, there's a mouthful. <laughs> what the hell's all that? Jeez, what's all that? <laughs> However, the back of the box for this has simplified things a bit, saying, Beyond infinity lies the evil gal- galaxy dominated by the forces of the despotic Salamander. A hero must persuade his compatriots to join him on a journey into hell and beyond. Organic monsters of destruction, nuclear spiders, infernos burning like raging seas in torment, Caverns of despair, demons beyond the dimensions of our minds. How is it? Yeah, and then we get Zap's review, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Zap, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read from the Zap review because this is the story in the in the main chunk of thing. It goes: In the far off reaches of the universe lies a collection of stars forming the Tesla Galaxy. Within this galaxy exists the lattice system comprising five planets: Aeonius, Lavinia, Kirka, Odysseus, and Lattice itself. The 100-million-year-old civilization has, over the centuries, become highly advanced and prosperous, blessed with an awesome psychopower known as the Crush Blow Power. This gift enabled them to look into the future, but what they saw was enough to strike terror into the hearts of every inhabitant of the lattice system. Total annihilation. This revelation was inscribed onto metal and stone tablets, known as the Prediction, but they were lost over the years between the five planets. Now the time has come for the fulfilling of the prophecy, and civilization holds its breath. True to the prediction, from a distant galaxy, an evil force emerges, envious of the utopian lifestyle of Lattice's inhabitants, intent on their destruction. The forces of Salamander are on their way. It's all a little bit crazy. <laughs> What's going on with all these? It's just what? It's just a shoot up. <laughs> yeah, you don't need all that, do you? Anyway, three stories that are all overwrought. Anyway, whatever the story actually is, this is Salamander. Uh, this is not the sequel to Nemesis Gradius, which I always thought it was for many years. But we discussed this when we did Nemesis. It's not. This is mm, a side. Right. This is a side call. I suppose is the right word. Fair enough. Side call. Yeah, this is a side story. And the proper sequel to Nemesis or Gradius was Gradius, actually Gradius Two, which we knew as Vulcan Venture. Ah. So that was the actual sequel to Nemesis. Um, ah. That's what we got over here. Which okay, because there's actually a Salamander Two in 1996, I think, or 1997, 90s. That's somewhere in the mid 90s. So anyway, the original arcade of this is from Konami. The original arcade was programmed by Hiroyosa. Hiroyosa Matsuguchi, Mitsu Takamoto, Toshiaki Takatori, and Ikuko Minoa, and visuals by Jun, Jun Sakurai, Miki Yoshikata, and Ikuki Bando, and was released in 1986 on the Konami GX400 system. There you go. It was a pretty big hit in the arcade, being the top-grossing arcade game on the Japan's Japan's gaming charts between September and October 86. And in 1997, Electronic Gaming Monthly rated the NES version of this game the 76th best console video game of all time, calling it one of the coolest shooters ever. There you go. Lots of stuff. Okay, fair enough. There you go. So this is the C64 version, obviously. It was ported by Imagine. It was by the team of Peter Barron on coding duties, Bob Stevenson on visuals, and Mark Cooksey on music. Uh, so this is a multi-load game. And whilst the arcade original has six levels, this version has just the four. Gives us levels one, two, three, and six from the arcade version. So we've just got we're missing out five and uh, four and five. But you know, it is what it is. The versions, these versions of the levels that we do get, they're pretty spot on to the arcade version. I have to say, all the component parts and even the end level bosses as well, they're all there. So every section of them, they're all it's all there, which is pretty impressive, especially with some of these bits. Um, what they've managed to do in this game. The game itself starts with a, uh, a title screen that's ripped straight from the arcade. It's quiet. There's no music. Um, it is literally just like the arcade version. I had a look and I played it, and it is just that arcade. You know, it says Salamander in a logo. It's press start and whatever, and that's it. So it's exactly like that. So there's, you may think, oh, it's a bit. Where's the music? There is no music to put. So there just there isn't. There you go. The interesting thing about this pressing fire gets us in. Uh, this version is single player only. 
the arcade version had a two-player mode where you could uh, play together, where one of you was the Vic Viper and one of you was the in the Lord British. I can't remember what the, mm-hmm. the ship was called. So that's gone. This is just a single play, a single player game on the C64. But you know, it's kind of easy to see why with the amount of stuff on screen. Um, and, and to be honest, it's not that great of a loss. It, this works perfectly bloody well as a single player shoot 'em up. So the first level sees us scrolling left to right, um, shooting waves of enemies. We pick up power ups. Um, so one of the big differences between this and Nemesis um, is that the power-ups are automatically activated when you pick them, when you grab them. You don't have to activate them or anything rather than having to select them from a list along the bottom and grabbing you know, grabbing one tokens, basically, to move along and then selecting it. This, it's, they're just there. It does miss the speech from the arcade version, so they're pick it up for a multiple, pick it up for a ripple laser. That They're gone, and I could... Fair enough, you know, what there's so much going yeah. on, I'm not surprised. But all the power-ups are actually there. So the power-ups include multiple, um, so that which you can you can have three satellites trading you, and they all shoot out whatever you're shooting out. So that's all good. So they'll you know these little satellites sort of trail behind you. Uh, you get missiles which fire up and down and track along the ground. So they fire up sort of top diagonal and bottom diagonal, and when they hit the ground, they sort of track along it and hit anything that's in there. Uh, you can get ripple laser which fires out like a growing circle of laser fire. It's like this sort of you know it's like a circle and it sort of grows as it goes along. Laser fire, which fires lasers in a straight line. You get speed ups, which do exactly that. And you can pick up a shield, uh, which can take up to three hits before being destroyed. Now, the good thing is here is that some of these, they can work in tandem with each other. So you can pick up three multiples, you can get the missiles, and you can have ripple laser all working together. It's not one and you're done. You can have them all working. The only ones that sort of swap in and out are the ripple laser or the lasers. You can only Mm -hmm. have one of those. But all the rest, they all work in tandem. So you can be firing diagonally in both directions. You can have these massive ripple lasers, you know, these massive circles all coming from the multiples. It's just loads of firepower. It's really good in that respect. And and that is exactly like the arcade game. And it does that in here as well. It's you know it's spot on as you progress through the first level you must navigate sort of these worm things that come out from the top and bottom again just like the arcade game there are waves of enemies there's big teeth like things like fangs that sort of come up from the ground and from the ceiling that sort of come in you sort of fly through them things yeah uh, there's respawning elements like these sort of organic elements to it which you kind of have to blast your way through but they kind of respawn behind you so you've got to keep shooting to make your way through these little sort of gaps that you create and then there's an end of level boss which is like a big brain with a sort of proboscisy thing which you have to destroy as well if you get through them you get to the second level this switches now this is where it gets interesting because at this point it switches to a vertical scrolling shmup so it changes so we've had you know horizontal now we go vertical um and now we're flying through space you've got loads of asteroids to contend with loads of enemies coming down in waves firing at you you've got lasers and and it's just chaos it's really chaotic but it's you know it is very well done at this point so the boss here is a long-limbed spaceship just like the arcade game uh, so it spins around it's got loads of it's got really fast sort of spin and then it sort of slows down you've got to sort of fly around keeping itself within it's kind of acting to shoot it in the middle take it down um level three uh seizes back to a side scrolling game and we're in a sea of flames heading to a massive flaming dragon as the boss um which is again just like the arcade level three finally level four or six as it is in the arcade has us flying over a more industrial landscape before escaping at the end and completing the game. I'm not quite sure if there's a boss at the end of the C64 version. There's some sort of mini-bosses. Um, I didn't get here. I watched the playthrough, and it did, I'm not quite sure. So that bit may be, may be a bit different. Yeah, so you know, it does a really good approximation of those four levels. That's what we get. They're very hard, so it may not seem like only four levels, but they're pretty big, and they're pretty quite long to play through. So it's, you know, there's a good chunk of game here. And I have to say, I wish I'd played this back then, because... And we'll come to the slowdown in a moment. Um, this is, you know, 
for 95% of this, this is an amazing conversion of the arcade game. It really is. This is spot on. It's a bit bare bones around the edges, but the core game is as much fun as the arcade. The graphics are top-notch. They're really good. All the levels being really excellent C64 approximations of the arcade, but the standout has got to be that flame level. It's incredible. It's you know the huge gouts of flame leaping from the landscape. It's a really, really good approximation of what's going on in the arcade. The big teeth um, or the horn things in the in the first level, the the amount of effects going on, the bullets flying around, the ripple laser. I, I mean, if it wasn't for that slowdown, we'll come to that in a bit, but it's a bit crazy sort of thing. It's, yeah, it's really, really impressive to look at this. The main ship is great. The sprites are good. The enemy sprites are all good. The big teeth, the rocks, as I said, all looks incredible. The only downside, as I said, is moments of slowdown. The sounds are also great. I thought the music is really good uh, versions of the arcade. It's got a really nice arcadey sound, which is uh, Mark Cooksey has managed to get out of the C64. It sounds arcadey, which is quite nice, and it just plays little burbles along in the background while you're shooting everything and sound effects and stuff like that as well. If you were to compare this to the other 8-bit versions, the Amstrad or the Spectrum ports, um, it's night and day because they're awful, awful. I mean, I had a look at them, and they were just dreadful, these dreary black background single-color monotone sprites with that music, I think, on the Spectrum versions. Like, bruh, bruh. Oh, horror. Oh, what is this horror? Awful stuff. This is, you know, this is night, This is a glorious home conversion for 95% of it, and, and those are just oh, ugly, horrible nastiness. However, if you're going to review this and look at this properly, it's such a shame that the end-of-level bosses are played by really flickery slowdown and it's i I don't know i mean i don't think they're that much different to what we saw in alien syndrome not much bigger or anything other than any different and they didn't suffer from that so i don't know what's happened here there's just they're really flickering it slows down so much especially when you've got so many bullets and stuff it's and it it don't ruin it because for, for the most part of this and there's some bits that happen through the levels as well every now and again but for the most part of this it's very smooth it's very fast it's just it, it, just these moments of slowdown really do, you know, take you out of it a bit. And, and I was like, ah, oh, but you know, you know, it just is what it is. I can't, I can't get around it. it. It's just one of those things. There's no lives on screen. You don't know how many lives you've got left. Um, the UI is just simply a score in the top left corner, and that's it. But there's, you know, there's loads of action going on. There's those. So As I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, the C64 shooters go. This is a, an absolute cracker. And it, even with the slowdown, even with the flickering, this might be my favourite one I've played. I, I absolutely adore because I adore Salamander in the arcade. I absolutely love it. And I'm, I know it's got slowdown, I know, but the majority of this game, just the fighting and the shooting and it's the ripple laser and everything like that, you know, it's it's. I just felt it was amazing. I really, really enjoyed this. It's just the feeling of power this game gives you within about 20 seconds. You know, just shoot the first few waves and you've got, tr- you've got three multiples, ripple laser missiles, and it's just death and you just feel ace. And it if it wasn't for that slowdown, this would be probably, you know, people would speak about this in a top 10 C64 games, I think. But it has got that slowdown. It can't be it can't be ignored. I don't think it ruins the experience, or at least it didn't for me. I thought this was a, you know, almost 100% proper triumph. This is, I don't think you could get closer to the arcade of Salamander than what they've managed to get through here. I'd really enjoy playing this. <laughs> it's that slowdown, and you have to mention it. But and I don't want to be too harp on about it too much because, like I said, about ninety five percent of the game feels amazing and is really good fun. So I, I know just a bit slowdown. So I loved it. What about you? It's a very competent shooter, Salamander. It felt and plays and is a lot like Nemesis. There's no way around it. Oh yeah, yeah. Very, you know, you put them side by side, they're arguably almost the same. It's a bit more slick around the edges, Salamander, than that though. There is a lot going on, and there's no denying it. 
And I think perhaps you're a little bit overpowered in this one, which means that it's actually quite easy. But that's, you know, it gets harder. That's a good thing. So at least it's got that, you know, it's got an in. Some of these games are so difficult right from the get-go. Io yeah. springs to mind. They just they just they throw you out immediately. This one doesn't. It's actually the opposite. So it's a nice in. And if you die, you can pick up your the little hover things, and you can soon you know you know maybe not as powered as you were, but you still got some of the powers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not yeah. trying to you're not trying to cram to hit the space bar to get your power ups or anything like that. So you've got it's just it all works nicely as a shooter. Graphics are really good in this. I think they're really nicely shaded and they kind of work really well. The the way that they've they've engineered it is actually very very clever. So when you get the worm creatures and the things like that, it actually all feels like a really really competent game. I really enjoyed it. It was I remember playing it back in the day and thinking it was thinking it was really good and better than Nemesis. And now I really like Nemesis. Mm, yeah. So this is really good. And yes, you're going to encounter the the slowdown bug. That is a shame. That is a great shame. Nemesis had it though. Nemesis had the bug. Io didn't. I don't remember it, or maybe it did. But I think maybe they just. You know what? You're hitting, you're pushing this machine to its absolute capacity in terms of characters and sprites and all the stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And so there's going to be a little bit of bug show because you really are pushing the machine to the max. I think even the only suit shoot 'em up that perhaps tops this in my mind is Catechus because Catechus is a lot better than this, and that and that's saying something. It really is. We've got Armalite as well coming, haven't we? I can't remember. Yeah, Armalite's another good one. Neither of us, that isn't as good as Catechus is, hands down, the best shooter on the C64, side-scrolling oh, okay. by miles. And you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get to see that when we get to it. But that said, even that, I think, still has, because you push, you, like I said, you're at the cutting edge of what this machine's capability are in 60. Fuck, you really are getting absolutely everything you can. I mean, when you when you press fire and you've got all the weapons in this game, it's not like some of the other shooters we've seen where there's a couple of bullets go up, a couple of bullets go down, a couple of bullets shooting out. There is bullets everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And that is impressive. It's impressive that, that's, you've, that we've gone from games where they barely could get one bullet to shoot to this. It's impressive, but you're at that cutting edge of what you're at the cusp of what is visually capable inside of having the game logic and everything else. You wrap that right at the edge of where you can take it. I thought this was a really good shoot 'em up. I really enjoyed it. It's, it's the right balance of difficulty and, and, and interesting for me. Take all that story nonsense aside, didn't need any of that. I just, I, I got straight in. Dead simple to get into. I like the like the low, low visual UI. They're just having the score. Keeps it nice. Yeah. But it's valuable to just keep it that way. One of the great things about that budget shooter that we saw was that it, it didn't have a UI. You don't need it. No, I just want to blow things up and shoot things. It gets in the way, so keep it minimal. Mm. It's really good. Yes, it's a pity but about the bug, and you're going to come across that. And I know we've criticised other games in the past for having that kind of multiplexer type, you know, raster cycling, bad line error kind of thing where it just sort of judders. And, but I'm, my thinking here is that, you, like I've said, this machine is being stretched to its absolute capacity of what it can show visually in terms of how it displays stuff. So I'll give it a little bit of leeway there because you, you're pushing yeah. the envelope here. Same here. And I thought yeah. this was really good. To cram all that in, that ain't bad going, is it, that? It's no. really good. So uh, go play it. Go play it. It's one of the best shooters on the C64. It's in an elite group. Go play it. It's very, very, very good. Those, those flame effects on level three are astonishingly good. Yeah, it's, uh, Bob, it's genuinely it's Bob, it's Bob brilliant It's Bob Stevenson doing Bob Stevenson, and Bob Stevenson is possibly the best, one of the best artists on he's the machine. He's a great pixel period. painter. It, he is Incredible. one of the great pixel painters, and it shows here because he's just got the look right. Salamander, go play it. Definitely go play it. Yeah, absolutely. It's ace. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and also as well, I mean, if you don't actually believe us, then why not have a listen to what uh, Bastish 64 thinks? The legend that is Bastish 64, the legend. Let's just put that there because he is. He is, absolutely. So if you don't believe us, 
Have a listen to what he says. Salamander was one of those really hotly anticipated games I was waiting to play on my C64. I mean, just those full-page magazine adverts just added to my desire to play it with the big metallic beast, like something of a heavy metal album of the day. I'd played the arcade a lot, so I knew it pretty well, but I had no illusions about home ports, with Pac-Man on the Atari 2600 scarring me for life. When I eventually got my bootleg copy, of course, I was simply blown away. It really felt like I was playing the arcade version. It felt silky smooth and visually it was amazing looking 8-bit version of the Konami arcade game. What I loved especially was how powerful the game made you feel real quick. A very arcadey trope to make you like a game quickly so you'll insert more coins. Salamander with its multiple drones, massive laser fire spread, out filling the screen with shoot 'em up death. It just nailed that chaotic nature. Just like the arcade, the game also flipped from horizontal levels to vertical, which feels like a nice change of pace with bosses that are tricky at first but once you know their weaknesses can be taken out really quickly. The coding team of Peter Barron and Bob Stevenson only worked on two games together, both classic C64 titles in my opinion, with this and the excellent System 3 platformer Myth History in the Making. Bob Stevenson's graphics are absolutely gorgeous as usual, taking all the shoot 'em ups he had done before such as Delta, IO and Mega Apocalypse and fusing them into this visual feast for the R's. Mark Cooksey, who almost never makes a bad Sid tune, delivers yet again with some great interpretations of the Konami arcade soundtrack, each level getting its own epic tune. Besides some sprite flickering when things get really mental and busy, and the game not having all the arcade levels, which honestly never really bothered me, what's here in the C64 version is the best of the arcade, delivered in an exceptional package by Imagine, and I think Zap's overall rating is pretty well justified. See? Told ya. Yeah, Even he likes well, it. Of course he does. Because that man's got taste. Yeah. What can you say? I agree everything with everything he said. I endorse his product. <laughs> it changed my life. <laughs> it changed my life. My patent for hair looming. No, in all fairness, thank you very much, Bastich64, for throwing in your two pennies worth there. You know, absolutely in agreement. Salamander, go, go play it. For goodness sake, what are you waiting for? Go and play it. It's one of the yeah. greats. And if you want a good laugh, just, I mean, we do it sometimes, but just go look at the Amstrad and Spectrum versions. They're dreadful. Yeah, pity them. Dreadful. Pity them. Awful. I mean, this, I think the thing is, I mean, this, this is what, this kind of game is what the C64 was built to do, wasn't it? With its hardware sprites. Pretty much. And scrolling, you know, a register, as you keep saying, for scrolling the screen and character, you know, character based stuff that you could sort of draw and animate and things like that. This is it. Here you go. This is what the machine can do. And this is what it was built to replicate from the arcade, not vectors, not those 3D stuff. It wasn't ever built for that. It was built for this. And, you know, when we get these things looking like they do, working like they do, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's always a good thing. Yeah, I was really glad I played this. There we go. Salamander. What a, what a great game. Um, yeah, best version on the uh, home computers anyway, by far. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to our next one. See what's coming up next. Um, and Graham, this is over to you. Um, I had the pleasure of the first game, which usually means the second one is also good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell us all, the way, all about I Zero. I Zero. You know, there's a reason why none of the Patreons wanted to review this one. <laughs> that's true. Nobody said, commented on this one. So I Zero. That's I dash X E R A. So I Zero is a 13% monumental 
game, <laughs> mega game, it's not, published by the powerhouse, our budget CRL friends, or they used to be for a while. They were oh, yeah, in the budget yeah, wing yeah. of CRL before. CRL went, get lost. Then they were overtaken <laughs> by somebody and they ran out of money instantly because they were in a whole world of debt. That they were surprised, really. So I don't know really who was the coding behind this. Um, um, it was, uh, what's his face? The guy who did it, Oops. Jason Kendall, is it? Yes, the guy who did Oops. Oops. Yeah, so Jason Kendall did it, and the music by Hagar, also known as Wally Bebben, I believe. Mm. I'm not going to go and read the brief off the inlay because this it's, it is ultra brief. I'll just summarise that. And also there's a whole bunch of tips Stu- and things. I'm not going to do all that. It's stupid, stupid. plot to this. So, oh, for God's sake... Someone has stolen the XI logo brand of the Isera Corporation. Some kind of, there's there's some kind of intergalactic police force. For reasons unknown to logic and rationale, they have split the logo into four pieces and hid it in a soap bubble factory. Why? 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 Why that? Why not? Why? Who, why would you need a factory to create soap bubbles? <laughs> what kind of enterprise needs soap bubbles on an industrial scale that re, that would require you to have a factory that made them? Uh, I'm thinking nightclubs in sort of South Europe. But that doesn't require a factory to make them. Just a (laughs) bar of soap will make you soap bubbles. You don't need a factory for that. Anyway, in this, she plays a robot and you must explore said bubble factory and find the interdimensional storage unit and then find and collect the four missing pieces of your logo and then escape. The factory is knee deep in annoying attacking robots and such, which which you can shoot or avoid, as otherwise they will drain your battery if you collide and go near them. Also, you've got a laser temperature, which may go too high if you hammer it, so you can't do that. Um, You can recharge your battery at the recharge points when you find them. And ultimately, your goal is to get your stuff and bugger off. Cue the exploration of a load of flick screen levels. And, well, that's kind of all the the game's about. Mm -hmm. Aside from the reasonable music, and the music is quite reasonable, it's actually misleading because you think, oh, music does make it sound better than it is. Um, Your robot sprite looks like a pumping yellow vibrator. (laughs) Um, which is a bit unpleasant. Um, the, the levels are generally a drab series of grey pipes, although for some reason I've written crab series of grey pipes. <laughs> which would be, be more enjoyable. would be more enjoyable, but it's not that. It's a drab series of grey pipes, blocks, shapes, and metal girders. You must scoot slash pulse slash slide, I guess. Um, Just whatever. The jury's out on exactly what you're doing. With the joystick um, in the directions, fire shoots, and if you find switches or things to pick up, you press down and that will activate, pick up, do them. Periodically, you'll find switches on the wall, which you have to activate to open doors. And that's it. Yep. What you've got here is a dreary, dull game. I mean, it's dull looking. You look at it and it is a yellow vibrator in a sea of grey. <laughs> and that's not good. And now this is this is the equivalent of, of this is OAP porn, actually. A vibrator <laughs> in a sea of grey, isn't it? And that, nobody wants that. Nobody. <laughs> horrible Um, it's not pleasant to play at all it's utterly devoid of fun utterly devoid i mean it's it's impressive that they've created a game that's so devoid of anything interesting and fun yeah that i think actually the game just colorless itself as you play it just decides that it's just dull (laughs) it's just an endless exploration of a series of dreary gray screens that all kind of look the same as well and you're disguised as a vibrator i don't want to be a vibrator (laughs) so no 13% 13% was generous. This is just rubbish. Utterly, utterly rubbish. Not good. Not good at all. No, 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 no. There's nothing redeemable about this at all. And isn't even recorded on a BASF tape. Ugh. No. Well. Bloody rubbish. I mean, that's it. I'm not saying any more about it because it doesn't deserve any more attention. The price for this monstrosity, I think it was one ninety nine. It's £2, yeah, yeah. I haven't written the price down, but that's £2 too much. No, thanks. 
No. Did you like it? Um, I didn't like it. No, I, I'm not probably not as down on it as you. I was at first when I first played it because I was like, what the hell is this? But it, it, I think overall it's a it's a really basic, it is functional. There are some bits to this flick screen. It's a flick screen adventure game that just, as you rightly say, it, it suffers Boring. from a lack. So much, yeah, it suffers from a lack of identity to the rooms. They all look the same and they don't follow the same rules. Sometimes you can just walk through those crate things and sometimes you have to jump over them, which is annoying me. I found myself getting lost very quickly because due to there's a couple of reasons. Each room looked the same, so I didn't know really where I was going because there's no there's just a series like you said, it's just a series of grey pipes and floors and endless grey rubbish. Yeah, yeah. And you, so there's no there's no visual hook to sort of navigate by. Everything just looks the bloody same. And because um I didn't really sure what was going on, and because it moves pretty fast i mean you like you move you for one of these games you, at least you move quite nippily you don't you're not slow um and the enemies are not too annoying so you're whipping through screen after screen after screen after screen and you're like i have no idea where i'm going or what i'm doing or anything what because you just there's no kind of hook there's no there's no thing it's just you're moving so fast between through is that well, it's impossible to kind of keep keep you in your head where you're going but like you i did quite like the main in uh, in-game tune i thought it was quite nice it feels quite quite melancholic i thought um, yeah, it's good. Um, but the visuals, uh, they're just not distinct enough to enable you to get a solid grasp of where you are or you need to go. There's no, just all looks, as, you know, it's the same. It's £2. I think 13% is a bit harsh on this. I think this, it does work. You can flip up things. I mean, I, I like the way, I, I, the one thing I did like is the way you've got to get your power back at the batteries. So you get the batteries and you've got that little mini game trying to, you know, get it yeah, to the can, higher thing. You, you can only do it a few times though and that's it. You can't yeah, ever four, do it again. You've got four, four chances to sort of get your power back and then you've got to find different batteries. So I, I didn't mind that. You've kind of got to work that out. It works. It's, co- you know, it, it's competent. It's just barren. It's barren and samey and it just needed something else. If these kind of games are your thing, you know, flick screen, adventure things, um, they're not for us, but you just go play the Magic Night games or something like that. They're better better than these things, which is a similar sort of flick screen adventure type. Play thing Future Night, but if you're going to play something like of this intense dreariness, play Future Night if you want to explore more grey. Yeah, you could do. I don't. There's nothing terribly. It's just bland and boring and dull. And after a while, it just those are bad things, though. I, I know, but I don't. You keep, think you keep 13- saying no. There's nothing bad about it apart from its blandness and its boringness. <laughs> it's boring. It's rubbish. I don't think it's thirteen percent bad. Thirteen percent is your Bob Winners and Lee Enfields, and I don't think it's. I down think it's there. in amongst. Uh, it's in amongst that lot for All me. Right. Fair enough, but it wasn't free. I, I if think if someone had come along, we'd said, "Look, your programming's fine. We just need to make some levels and these graphics a bit better, and you, you know, navigation a bit clearer." But it ain't great. I mean, it's probably in the twenties. Being for me. far too kind. Yeah, maybe I am. Maybe I am. I just don't think it's as bad as some of the stuff we've seen recently that got lower scores. It's like it's no chubby gristle um and crap like that but parked in the same garage for me <laughs> fair enough fair enough i did think that at first when i first actually gave it a go but i, I was I, I, I don't know i don't know yeah it's not great it's certainly not great there you go i zero could be i zero i suppose one's one zero which would be one zero which would be ten percent there you go if you if you're mm. in that kind of mind oh whatever i zero don't don't play it it's not very good it's a it's a proper like we play it so you don't have to that one in it really is yeah, it's one uh, of those. There you go. There you go. Let's move on then. That's I zero. This is Professor Brian Strain, aka the Mighty Brian, from the pages of Commodore Force, and you're listening to Zap to the Past. And we've got our next one. This is a full pricer. Oh God, Lord! This is Blood Brothers. <laughs> what? It's nine ninety nine. It's got thirty nine percent. This is a stupid pain in the ass game. Yep. 
from the get-go. It's stupid. It's stupid and it's a pain. I read the manual and I, even after reading the manual, I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't understand what I was supposed to do. It's so vague in its instructions and what you're supposed to do with this over-elaborate story and then crap actual telling you what to do. I could never sure from the beginning whether I moved left or light, right or left, it would put me in my jet bike or, jet bike or whatever it was for platforming. It's just all over the place. It's just game's a mess. Anyway, Blood Brothers. Story is... Whilst out doing brotherly stuff, the Scorpions, an evil race of assholes, came in, burnt your home down. This is Cre- what they called Crenan Hank or something. I can't remember the names. I hadn't noted down. They burnt. So two brothers are out doing brotherly stuff while they're away. The Scorpions, who are an evil race of assholes, they come in, they burn your house, they burn their house down, they killed your parents, they killed their parents, and they stole your snake. Um, and that is what grieved them the most. Oh, they might not have done. Um, anyway, the brothers vowed to avenge all this. And they made the ultimate pact and became blood brothers. So they shared blood, even though they were actual brothers. Fresh blood. <laughs> that seems pointless. They already share blood. They're brothers. That's the whole point, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's yes, like it's not good. Usually two people who are not brothers share blood to become blood brothers. This explains a great deal about this <laughs> stupid game. <laughs> anyway, that's the plot for, for much as it is. So you've gone to avenge yourself on the Scorpions, you know, which I would really, really like to have been the band. But, you know, it's not. Shame, Maybe it really. was. Maybe it was, yeah. So this game itself is a confusing mess of illogical modes and directionless options. When the game starts, you have three modules to choose from, each of which offers different sections to explore, I think. The main module one sees you controlling Hark and Kren. That's what they're called, Hark and Kren. That's the brothers. Hark and Kren. Hark at them. And when things start, you're both Hark standing up. You're like, you've got the side on. You're both standing above a mine entrant. The controls are illogical. You control one of them with a joystick and one with a keyboard, but you can press G to swap which one you control, um, you know, with which. Which is, so you essentially, you've got two lives to complete uh. this, but it makes no sense. It's like, you're not going to control them at the same time. Nobody is. Although I suppose you could if you had two players. I don't know. It's stupid. So whichever one you control, you have two choices here. One is to, you're, you're kind of, on this ledge and there's a gap in the middle so you can walk off the edge and into the mine below but you don't follow him you just stay there the camera just doesn't follow it you have to actually go and press two you have to press one of the number keys to actually switch the camera to follow him it's like why have i had to do that i was controlling him just clearly i want to go that way don't make me have to press a button it's stupid and the objective here in the mine section, as far as I can make out, was to navigate the flick screen mines, collecting stuff and shooting the overly hard to kill monsters whilst fighting the physics, which are crazy. It says in the instruction manual, it says you, you're armed with some kind of uh, laser fire gun, which allows you to shoot the monsters, which take about, oh, it take around about six shots to kill. It's like, that's too many. It's too many. And don't say around. Just tell me. Uh, and it's too many. They should just die. You know, just that kind of game. Um, the physics in this are nuts as well. The second option, while you're atop the mine, if you don't want to drop down, you can just press the fire button. <laughs> and this takes you to the jet bike mode because they were that's what they're doing, the brothers, Hank and Cred. They were working on, over the time after their uh, parents were killed, they were working on amazing jet bike technology. Now, they didn't work on it very hard because these jet bikes are crap. So you have to control your awkwardly heavily inertia-based vehicle through a series of small gaps. <laughs> it's, that, it's that exciting. In oncoming 3D walls, which you won't be able to do because <laughs> it's dead hard and ridiculous. And the, the gaps are so far apart that, and you move so slowly to the left and right, that, you know, you have to know exactly where they are. It's nonsense. Um, so collision with any of the walls, because you can't fly over them, uh, just sends you back to the top of the mine. 
and then or you can start again and that's it really if you run out of fuel then you die and that's well that that brother is then dead so then you have to use the second brother um and you have to swap control with g to make him controlled by the joystick and you can drop down into the mines again or you can fly a fly his bike through a different series of walls which don't none of this makes any sense I don't know who made this. There's, I couldn't find any credits for the C64 version of this game, aside from it was released by Gremlin and as music by Ben Daglish. It's a deeply frustrating experience in all areas. You've no idea what to do, really. Even from reading the instructions, the aim of this is vague and unclear. The platforming section where you have to navigate them with an overly sensitive jetpack is floaty and annoying. Before we even figure in the recoil from shooting your weapon, <laughs> which is so ridiculous, sends you careering Bloody back yeah, across the stupid. screen. And considering all enemies take six or so shots, six or so shots to kill, you constantly fight in the game to try and control it. Contact with any liquid is instant death because you can't get out of it. The visuals are garish and unpleasant, as are the sound effects. There's some UI at the bottom showing fuel thrust and weapon bars, but it's all for nothing when this is so unwieldy to control. The bike section is just as bad, with unresponsive controls and annoying noises and bland visuals and incredibly hard to get to gaps to navigate through. And very quickly, this whole experience becomes painful and frustrating to navigate i have no real idea what they're attempting here as none of the sections hang together the controls are overly fiddly the physics are rubbish and annoying and the overall look is painful on the eyes this is not broken so much because it kind of does work i guess it's just really badly designed from the get-go and and i really didn't like this at all i thought this was awful i thought this was painful to play and just oh to trying to do overly too many things and none of them well it was just bleh, i just bleh, it was horrible bleh, i didn't like it what about you <laughs> what what was that 3d driving bit all about <laughs> that one knows With the walls sort of floating towards you and it was horrible yep oh and then in the other sections shooting makes you go backwards which is just really f***ing annoying <laughs> Um, the controls in this are just everything about the controls that were a pain in the ass from start to finish. It feels like it's fighting you every step of the way. Everything, every logical thing you want there to be in this game isn't there in the way you think it will be at all. It's uh-huh. Completely, it's like the most counterintuitive game I think we've come across for quite some time. Yeah. Now, I mean, short of making left go right and right go left, um, you know, just to add extra confusion to this, it's just utterly confusing, crazy. The platform game parts are boring. Graphics are dull. Although the main sprite was quite big and well-realized, I suppose, big and well-grown. Um, just everything felt a little bit too tight quarters and a bit close. When you're trying to navigate when you've got the jetpack, it's really hard. And yeah. in the way that um, Sacred Armor of Antiriad was annoyingly hard when you were in the suit. Just you're always bumping into things and bobbing about and never quite getting where you want to be. And it just makes for dead frustrating gameplay when it does that. Everything looks really samey, apart from the various colour differences between the different levels. It's just, you know, level one looks like a red version of level two, looks like a green version of level three. Bloody weird. And the attempt at, as I said, those pseudo 3D sections, they're just horrible. They remind me of why I, I don't like that kind of zoomy sprite kind of notion of 3D that they've tried. I remind you, I think, watching it going, no, 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 no. It just looks utterly rubbish. This is just unpleasant, out of place. And I didn't enjoy a single thing about it. Is it Gremlin graphics, this? Yeah. Utterly, utterly forgettable, full-price crap. What could have been is a game where you've got two players and you have to solve puzzles together. You know, there's loads of games that are based around that logic later down the line, isn't there? Loads of really successful ones. Not this, though. Well, there was... I mean, you can go back. You've got stuff like the Goonies. Yeah, but not... not. They didn't obviously look to any of those things in this. They just, you know, hit upon making an uncontrollable game about two things, two lives. Just... No, 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 no. 39%? Do bloody eye, if you ask me. Yeah, utterly, way too utterly, utterly rubbish, this. No. And I've said it before, no. 
<laughs> no, no brothers, no. Awful. Yeah, I really didn't like that at all. It was pe- it was just yeah, full price as well. Ten quid for that rubbish. Just rubbish. Nonsense. To rubbish. Yeah. Here we go. Let's move on. We've got one more game still to come um, in this part before we'll bugger off and do some singles. So let's get to it. That game happened, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is the sequel to Star Wars. This is The Empire Strikes Back. Graham, tell us all about it. Well, the film happened uh, in a galaxy far, far away, and the game happened in a time far, far away from this, didn't it? This is an old arcade, really. Mm. Um, An old Atari thing, wasn't it? Anyway, even though I know the publisher's Domark and the producer was Vector Graphics and it was coded by Andy Craveny and Martin and Mark Robinson, and even though I know you know, that Derek Austin did the graphics, the title screen, and the music was Mr. Whitaker with his Star Wars loop. I know you know that, and you may know I know that, but did you know that I know two other people who also know that? We didn't know. Who do? Who knows this? Well, we reached out into the far reaches of time and space across the galaxy far, far away, using the Force <laughs> to summon <laughs> other Jedis. And fortunately, you know, the Force was strong with two people who answered our call. One of them is one of our amazing Patreons. The other one is just somebody that loves our podcast. And that is always a nice thing. So without further ado, let me introduce you to our two fabulous Jedis. The first one being David Hearn from DavidHearnWriter.com. And then following David, you'll hear from Andrew Fisher, the amazing Andrew Fisher. So let's see what these guys have to say. Zap to the past. 100 episodes. Congratulations, guys. Adrian and Graham, you've kept us entertained with your antics and uh, enjoyed it. Enjoyed all of it. Every episode, all of the stuff that you come out with, sometimes it's incisive, sometimes it's completely random, but it's always enjoyable. Now, for episode 100, I'm reviewing The Empire Strikes Back. This was published by Vector Graphics, which was Andy Craven and Danny Gallagher. So they were a couple of lads from Leeds, and they put this together for Dom Mark. They did the original Star Wars as well. Dave Whitaker does the music. It's a nice enough rendition of the Star Wars theme. Bit of a shame it doesn't play through the game. It's there at the intro, and it's nice, and I... It's nice to hear it, but why it couldn't have been in the game as well? I'm not sure. Derek Austin did the graphics and the title screen. Speaking of which, the title screen isn't too bad. Uh, it's got a nice sort of sort of look and feel of, of the movie. You can see the Adat Walker on there, uh, the Snowspeeder Vader's helmet. Luke is quite hard to make out, though. See what you think. And, and why is his lightsaber white? I don't remember that part. But Empire Strikes Back was one of my favourite movies. Still is my favourite in the Star Wars franchise. So uh, it's a game that you want to be good, even though you know the limitations of the old bread bin. Uh, you hope that it's going to be good. Okay, so it's broken down into four parts. And it features the probe droids or probots, the ATST walkers, they were the two legged guys, the ADAT walkers or the ATAT walkers, the big four legged guys, the TIE fighters will also feature in there, and you've got some asteroids in there. So, four levels all up, that's one more than what you got in Star Wars, so not all bad. And uh, I guess it's, I mean, 74% is what Zap gave it, that's not too bad. Probably a little bit high, but at least there is a semblance of a game here, even if the graphics aren't great. Stage one, you're on Hoth. You're battling the probe robots. You're trying to shut down their comms. So you're shooting at the robots, you're shooting at their comms as they send them off. So you can do that or you can just do nothing and fly around and avoid it all. And guess what? You'll still get through the stage. There's a blue bar at the top of the screen that counts down the level for you. It's got a slider moving across. Engage, don't engage. 
not sure it makes a great deal of difference. You're going to get through the, the level either way. Um, in fact, if you avoid the conflict and uh, incoming enemy fire, you're probably going to... Uh, come out better um, and survive to the next stage. But that's not the point of it. You want to get the points, right? So get in there and have a go. If you don't like the uh, the up-down axis, you can switch it with the J key, by the way. Now, stage two is Luke in the Snowspeeder. Again, this time you've got the ATSTs and the ADATs. You get to fire tow cables at the legs of the ATATs this time. Pretty simple. Even if your shooting isn't great, you're going to knock them down. So um, not too bad. You can also do the trick flying under the legs to get another 5,000 points. You will need to use the space bar to fire the cable, by the way. It's not too bad. Once again, you can engage or you can just avoid it all and you'll get through the level uh, probably unscathed. On to stage three. This time you are hand solo, heading to the Rebel hideout. You're fighting TIE fighters. There's a Star Destroyer there in the background or what's supposed to be a Star Destroyer. This also features in the intro sequence and I'm not really sure what it is, but I think that's what it's supposed to be and uh, I, I think that's supported in the manual as well. So you, you knock off enough TIE fighters and you've got the last stage. Stage four is an asteroid field. This stage is probably the most pointless of them all. You literally just dodge the vector asteroids as they come at you. Then you get wave completed. Uh, a very, very dodgy Darth Vader face will appear. I don't know what happened to his eyes. It's it's not good. Um, he should get some treatment for that. Something, some uh, some preferring, some uh, some eye drops, something. I don't know, but uh, he's got hollow eyes, poor, poor Vader. And I uh, were they out of memory at this point? It is a single load. I'm not sure, but they could have done better. Uh, you also get to shoot the Jedi letters during each stage. You get 20,000 points if you can do that as well. Um, look, it's not too bad. This came out for the Amiga, the Amstrad. Uh, obviously, it was in the arcade as well. ST, ZX Spectrum got it in the BBC Micro. I, I mean, the vector graphics, I don't want to harp on about it, but they are a bit sad. And the less stuff that's on the screen, the faster you will fire. And that's kind of embarrassing, really. But but um, it sort of all hangs together as four little mini games. None of them great. Stage two is the pick of them. Uh, I think, uh, does it take you to Hoth? Does it transport you to the Star Wars universe? I'm going to say not really. Uh, is it still playable? I'm going to say there's a game here. There's something, but it's it's pretty sad, especially these days. 74%, I'm going to say just a tad too high. This is probably more around the 50-60% territory, I would have thought. But give it a try. Who knows? Maybe you'll enjoy it. That's The Empire Strikes Back. My name is Andrew Fisher. I am a freelance writer specialising in retro games. You can find my work in the pages of Retro Gamer magazine, where I specialise in homebrew, in the pages of Zap64 and Zap Amiga, in Fusion magazine, and recently in Wireframe. When former Commodore founder Jack Trammell took over Atari, the arcade division Atari Games became separate from the computer business, and it had to adopt the Tengen label for its console and computer releases. One of the companies that gained licenses from Tengen was Domark, and it had already converted the landmark vector graphics game Star Wars to home computers. Of course, the home computer versions did not have the thrill of the large cockpit, and many lacked the impressive sampled speech. Atari Games would follow that hit up with a conversion kit containing the sequel, The Empire Strikes Back. The arcade board is rarer than the original nowadays, so play it if you ever get the chance. It was once again up to vector graphics, V-E-K-T-O-R-G-R-A-F-A-I-X, to make an 8-bit computer ship around the many lines and colours to make up a galaxy far, far away. Four sections make up the gameplay. Shoot the probe droids to prevent them sending messages. Take down the massive AT-ATs using tow cables. Escape in the Millennium Falcon by shooting TIE fighters. And then navigate through the asteroid field. The real problem for the conversion was the repetition. Those four stages are repeated, getting tougher and tougher. 
Pressing space to launch the tow gables is also tricky in the heat of battle. The Vector graphics do a reasonable job, but they are slower than the other 8-bit machines and only a limited number of objects are visible at once. Taking down the AT-AT should be spectacular, but it does not impress here. The C64 version got an above average 74% from Zap with reservations, calling it a quality conversion that proves addictive despite itself. Other RAF wireframe games, Mercenary and Moonfall, show the C64 can handle vector graphics, but I myself found this one an above average, if limited, game. Okay, great work there from uh, Andrew and Dave, as I like to call them. Um, <laughs> Which is handy, because that is their names. Because <laughs> that's their names, that's <laughs> what they like to be called, I think, generally. Yeah. Um, and they've both been very kind to this, a lot kinder, I feel like I than I am going to be. So now I like the Star Wars arcade. I do. Mm-hmm. Now the Vectors felt good at the time, and it was the trench run, wasn't it? And being able to do that was a bit cool. And it sat in that really amazing cabinet. I've, I still go regularly when I'm at the Leeds Arcade Club. They've got the um, Star Wars cabinet, the sit down cabinet, you know, and it's you know, and it's really loud. And it, mm. it's one of those things. There's a, a bit of a passage of rights of a, a young arcade person who likes Star Wars to go and play that in the arcade. Fine. Um, now. Everyone kind of remembers that bit. Not everyone remembers the Empire Strikes Back um, follow-up arcade. Um, Because unlike the film, which is an amazing sequel, the arcade, for me at least, was a bit of a misfire. I liked liked the idea of fighting Atats and and all of that and being on Hoth and in the Speeder and all that all sounds amazing. But there's a reason why it doesn't quite work on a black and white vector screen when you're on a snow-covered planet. Mm-hmm. And it sort of looked a bit naff even in the arcade. Now, there's a lot of loads of speech in the arcade and there's loads of that and it's fast vectors and all of that and it's an arcade. But it, there was just something that didn't quite work for me. And I know it's four levels and then the Hoth part is just one bit of it and you've got to shoot the you know the probe droids and then you've got the attack, you've got to hook the legs. And I get all of that. But it, for me, it didn't work in the arcade. So the C64 version then is another vector-based attempt. Of course it is. Which, of course, then suffers from vectoritis. So, and that's essentially the main symptom of that is when there's too much on the screen, of course, it starts to just chug, chug, chug. And of course, it's going to do that. The mathematics involved for this kind of thing are simply not a strength of the 60502 or the 6510 or whatever processor it was in the 64. I can't remember the top of 6502, whatever it is, variation. Mm -hmm. And the Vic chip's not going to be able to chuck the numbers around, you know, in the same way that some of the other machines perhaps did. So... It doesn't lend itself to pretty much everything about the C64, this. Um, it has, the C64 has peculiarities, doesn't it? So in medium mm-hmm. res, the pixels are wider than they are tall. They're not square, they're rectangle, they're sort of small rectangles. So that alters the way that vectors are going to look in any kind of medium resolution. They're going to look kind of weird. So because that has this, and because it's basically a shot for shot remake of the arcade, and as much as they can do it in 64K, Mm-hmm. It suffers from all the things you'd expect it to suffer from. It's kind of all there, but really slow and unplayable. And that's say, not saying a lot from an arcade game that was kind of not really that interesting to begin with. This feels like it's lip service to a Star Wars franchise for some reason. I don't believe there's any upping of the graphic ante in terms of what's going on in the code behind. This is the same code. Maybe there's a few tweaks. This, all of the speech and everything else that was in the arcade that sort of keeps it a little bit interesting isn't here. So you are just playing the raw game. It controls like the arcade, but it's it, it's as soon as you get too many lines on the screen, things start to slow down, which is unpleasant. It's just Empire Strikes Back without any any of the real heart that made that game even what it was, which was pretty average even for that. The vectors of the original game were quite astounding when you first saw it. Quite an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. But the second game comes along and it doesn't really do anything new or interesting. 
Had that been, again, at very early uh, Phil Polly's or some description, even if it was very basic, would have been a step forward as opposed to what feels like a sidestep. So the C64 version is a sidestep along with it. It's very late in the day. Um, it feels like it's been turned out way later than it should have been. Um, so it feels late to the party. In a, and we've had loads of Vector games, none of which have been that good, but this feels very late to that party even. So I suppose around its edges, some bits, you know, the music's all right, I suppose. The, it's the arcade in all but frame rates, really, and, and to speech and everything else. A very jerky, slow, ploddy version of a very average, if not pretty naff, actually, pretty boring, and apparently quite rare arcade. No, I didn't like the Empire Strikes Back at all. I don't like Vector games, so it's no secret that I, I, it's never going to be floating my boat. I had a little bit of time for Star Wars because it had that trench run bit, but this one is utterly forgettable for me. I didn't like it. And um, what about you? Yeah, this is boring. <laughs> it's really boring. I, I like the film, the sequel. I don't really think it added anything to the first game, just beyond some different things to shoot and a tow cable, really. So it does add something. But, you know, that makes the attacks. I thought it makes the attacks deflate like a punctured balloon. It's, it's a really weird thing. They kind of just sort of sink to flood. Yeah, they do, of, yeah. It's, it's, like it's a, not good. It's like someone sort of shot a hot air balloon out the, out the sky and they just sort of fall to the floor. It's really weird. There's no real sense of this being Star Wars, I thought, again. Also, as well, don't watch the instructions because they go on for ages. Um, yep. um, uh, the, you know, although the vector graphics, they had the different representations of the craft from the films, you know, so the attacks, they look like attacks, they look like attestees. Fine. The slow update and the dull feeling of everything quickly overwhelms any sense of nostalgia I may have had for this. It's boring. It's just no. There's no fun in this. It's like one attack plodding towards you while you slowly fly towards it, and then like very slowly try and fly through its legs, and then turn round, try and turn round slowly. It's just boring. Really dull to play. And yeah, I didn't like this. I think these games relied on being sat. Well, you know, the arcade versions, they were, they were fast and they had all that music, like you said, and all that speech. And, you know, they were very, there was something very, very unusual back then. There wasn't any really arcades like this when they when they were coming out. Not not in, that had this kind of production value and stuff like that. So they had all that arcade oomph. They were early versions of things that we saw with like Space Area and stuff like that. We said this was Star Wars. But here, when you take all that away and you dump them on a, a machine that's not great with vectors in the first place yeah you're not you're not going to end up with uh you know a good thing here this is uh yeah i don't know this is dejabba wanker as far as i'm concerned which i know is the wrong film but you know there you go yeah no i get yeah it's poodoo isn't it 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 really is yeah this is a this is bib fortuna at best yeah yeah yeah, it's not good that so uh i am sorry i mean i I think yeah our contributors liked it a bit more than us but this was not for me no, 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 no. no, there we go. That's our first four games uh, with some excellent contributions. Thank you all. We've got more stuff coming up. We've got to go away now. Take a break. We're coming back with the singles. We've got a special guest to go through them with us uh, once again. So uh, that should be some fun. The faint whiff of brown sauce is already... <laughs> Don't give it away. ...in the air. <laughs> There's a, what's that I see over the hill? It's a large brown sauce white, brown white cloud sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I can sense the bull nostrils from here. As we move, uh, we'll go and do the singles. Um, and, yeah, so we're going to do that. We'll be back in a bit. Please enjoy that. We're gonna, and then we've got some more uh, games to review with, with loads of new... We've got guests. We've got all stuff going on. So, you know going on this uh, this episode so stick around the novel escape from the commodore 64 by david hearn is out now 
Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we are back and continuing with contributions for episode 100, special episode 100. We have been 100. joined Woo. once again for the singles by Mr. Gary Brownsource Wilson. He's he with is. us in the house. Uh, good, Gary, you all right? Good evening. I'm uh, very well. I'm a bit tired. I've been busy this week. Car breakdowns over the past couple of months, new car, and all kinds of tedious things like that. Oh, your your life sounds like a, a host of pleasures. Well, <laughs> I don't want to go too deep into that. Yeah. No, no one does. No one wants to go no too one. deep into no. uh, your Stop right there. Stop. Stop, Flynn. <laughs> I need them. <laughs> anyway, thank you for uh, inviting me on again. It's a pleasure to be back on uh, Zap to the Path. So yes, right. it's a great pleasure having you, as always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the sincerity. <laughs> it's always lovely having you, Gary. Always. Yes, and I'm enjoying yes. my time on the Discord when I do go on uh, uh, chatting about uh, Good. Because cool. the people on there that really like you on there. None of them on this recording right now. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what we know. They've not seen what we've seen. <laughs> well, yes, they've not wiped what we've wiped. <laughs> Oh smelt God. what we've smelt. <laughs> that was 40 years ago. No, one of his last week, you liar. <laughs> yes. It just 40 years, the, the, the stains run pretty deep. It doesn't wash off. Anyway. Uh, you're putting my psychiatrist through college. Um, <laughs> anyway, should we get some singles? Should yeah. we do this? Do it. All let's right, go. Let's, let's, let's go. see what number ones we have. Number one single for the first two weeks of September 1988 was Groovy Kind of Love by mm. Phil Collins. We spoke about this, didn't we, the other we time? Did, the yes. one with the eight-year-old's lyrics in it. When I have a cup of tea <laughs> and I like your three you biscuits on my plate because I turned up late. It's just stupid. It is. It is not his finest hour in any way, shape, or form. It's just so boring. I mean, I listened to it again today. It's so boring. Mm, yep. It is so dull. Everyone's favourite train robber. Um, is it from that Buster movie, is it? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Mm. That's why he's at the album. We covered the album last week, I think. No, it's um, just no. No, no, indeed. Uh, for the final two weeks, um, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, 1988 by The Hollies. Mm. Was it on an advert or something? Uh, be yeah, something I, think it's the, I think it's the Guinness advert, isn't it? Is it? At the a time, I seem, remember, you... I seem to remember the Guinness advert had He Ain't Heavy, Is My Brother on it in the 80s. Uh, okay. uh, quite possibly. It, but it's bound to be something, one of, one of some adverts somewhere. It's going to be. be. Yeah. Obviously, uh, a little known fact that Elton John plays the piano when Elton John was a session. What, generally? 
Oh, he played it on that. Just like, it's a quite a well-known fact that he plays the piano. I've seen him. This is news to me. <laughs> quite Elton, you never told me you played the piano. <laughs> ba-da-ding, ba-da-ding, you're on it now. Get off. <laughs> he was a session musician in, in the late 60s, and even when he was semi-famous, he uh, played on quite a number of the Top of the Pops albums. Do you remember those? The, yes, uh, yes, I, I do. do. The re-recordings that you can pick up in yeah. the shops. Uh, the top of all. and he went in and said, "Well, I'll just play on my own tongue." And they <laughs> Cheeky bugger. That's, that's fair. As, fair as, a, as an avid record collector, I'd say if anybody finds the top of the pops vinyl in a charity shop or a second shop, whatever, the one with Linda Lusardi on the cover is the one you need to buy. You <laughs> can one... easily get sixty quid for that. So if you do come across it, get it on Discogs. You know, it's, it's going to be... Be careful winner. what you say, Gary. There's, 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 a, there's a loaded statement there. Does it need to be in mint condition or can it be stained? There's going to be some stains on it, yeah. Some, some, but anyway, yeah. The, the, the sleeve won't open on Gary's, so... Uh, <laughs> can't get the, re- one, you can't get the record out. It's, like, oh, it's, uh, it's, I, it's not vinyl. I do flick through a lot of uh, boxes in charity shops and I see a lot on top of the top of the pops albums and I look for it every time I'm in. Yeah. yeah. We had a load of those albums when I was a kid growing up. Not that yeah. one though. They're crap. They're would... absolutely crap. Yeah, they're not they're great. They're not great. Absolutely. I remember I had a I remember one of them seemed to remember had a version of um um I want to say like not space, but what's that group space? They did um Magic Fly. Uh, Magic Fly. I'm sure it had a version of yeah. Magic Fly on it. They did they were covering they all kinds of stuff and it Universally, that was all crap. Yeah, yeah. generally, like uh, Tate stuff you used to hear in Tate's. Yeah, Tate Tate's own brand music. Yeah, Tate's yeah. own brand music. Yeah. Um, okay, let's have a look at the singles then. Fourth uh, of September at number sixteen is another part of me by Michael Jackson. Um, it's weird watching this video. Obviously, you know what's gone on since, but just the the Jackson mania in this video. The only way I could describe it is crazy. Well, self propagated Jackson mania. He just you know just got enough people. He paid enough people millions of pounds to tell him how. Everyone else, how awesome he was! I'm with the crowd. The crowd are licking it, and it's just madness going on. And it's a bland mm. song, this though. Not, not, not a particularly good song. I don't get it. I don't get why he was as crazy popular as he became. I don't understand it. No, he was. Um, uh, in at number twenty-one is uh, "Lovely Day Sunshine Mix" by Bill Withers. Yeah, I said last time that uh, there was a whole slew of re-releases, probably due to an advert or something that the uh, Dutch DJ did called Ben LeBrand. He did the uh, Phil Collins one. Wasn't, I want to say, Lovely Day. I've got a feeling that was on either a coffee advert or like a Bacardi one. I seem to remember it on one of... Yeah, it'll be, it'll be something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I'm pretty and sure it, it was. It's basically, he basically just added a little funky beat and you either dislike it massively or you... you know. Maybe it was um, used by the Samaritans on their advert. <laughs> <laughs> What? It would make it's sense for the l- Samaritans to have it, wouldn't it? Or, to play a lovely day, yeah, I suppose well, so. If you're Rather than something about the Smiths. Yeah. Or co-op funerals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be. A lovely um, day, co-op funeral homes. Always well, there when you need us. You've just made me laugh, and that's the segue I'm about to present to you. <laughs> uh, in number 26 is Make Me Laugh. Yeah, Make Me Laugh. There you go. Anthrax. The Shadmocks. The Shadmocks Shad first Mox single. What you, is have, that about? You, you haven't listened to last week's yet because we did the album <laughs> last week. And you need to look and see the album cover. If you scroll up on the agenda, mm. you'll see the picture of the album cover. Oh, and they well, look I'll like, have a look at it later. And they look like, so do it now. You've got the agenda in front of you. God damn it, man. Oh. You've got a hand and a mouse. And it's even the summary links you can click on. It's yeah, so easy it, for it you. It looks like uh, some characters from the Monster Club, uh, <laughs> like Shadmocks in the album's bit. 
Actually, the, the question there is, Gary, is which out of those crazy characters in the uh, Monster Club lineage there, which one do you feel you're most like? <laughs> I can't find it. Oh, God. <laughs> Scroll. I've got, oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Look, yeah, it's very Gary. yellow. It is very yellow, yes. I, I yeah. skip past it. Yeah, they are. The sh- although the Shadmocks is a great name for, for an Irish vampire band. It, it the Shadmocks? <laughs> yeah. Not with that accent, though. <laughs> no. Go down there at night because you might have a shag. Where? Go down where? <laughs> Certainly not in Ireland. <laughs> I've got to scroll back down again now and find my place. It's confusing the thing. It's not, oh. it's not that difficult to do, is God. it? God. <laughs> the technology. Um, no, it scares I me. I, I've never got on with anthrax no, in any capacity, whether no, it's the you know, it makes me very well. virus or, yeah, or the, uh, the band. Um, <laughs> I did notice that the 12-inch version of this did contain a cover of the Sex Pistols' is, uh, Frigging in the Rigging. I don't know if you listened to that. Yeah, I did not. That's a rugby song, that, Frigging in the it, Rigging. It is, yeah. I mean, the Sex Pistols one was bad and the Anthrax one was well. Yeah. yeah. No, I did not. I did not not, not good choices. You've made bad choices. <laughs> Go back to being a Shadmock. Absolutely. Or a Hume Goo. Or a Hume Goo, um, yeah. Uh, number 33 is Stop This Crazy Thing featuring Junior Reed. That's uh, by Cold Cut featuring Junior Reed. Uh, this is not for me, this. I, I, I get that. I get that it's not for you. And I remember listening to Jeff Young on uh, Radio 1, and I heard this, and he heard it on, and it was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's not great. It's, it, I think it's kind of got some so, kind of social commentary, but it's kind of, I thought it's quite similar to the specials Ghost Town, train something we've all got to get on. There's violence, there's crime, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't really work. Cold Cut did uh, obviously a lot better stuff than that uh, since then. Uh, famed UK producers and DJs. Um, but this wasn't their finest moment, no. Yeah. Do you like it, Graham? Fair no. No. Okay. Uh, Cold Cut got better later. This one's just a bit, bit weird for me. They did. Never quite. No. Um, getting better, though, in at number 37 is Nothing Can Divide Us by Jason Donovan. Okay. Mm. I reckon a, I reckon a sword could. I could deport, <laughs> did did you see them. his hair in the video? I, I, that's oh, all I video did see. was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, w- I was watching the video and it was really bad. And I was kind of scrolling through uh, YouTube. And the, if you go to the YouTube official video, there's a, a post. And I'll read this post to you now. And this is obviously on the top of the uh, post. And I quote, the writing, the creativity, the musical arrangement. The choice of sounds used, the lyrics, and Jason's amazing vocals. My goodness, Stock Aitken and Watermo are absolute geniuses. Magicians, this song is my favourite song of Jason's. Listen to the extended mix and even the instrumental version. Mesmerising. Thank you so much for the music. Signed, Jay. Gary Wilson. Jay, I think Jason Donovan wrote that. Yeah, he wrote that himself, definitely. Probably... No, one else would, no one else would have written that. <laughs> no. Just to say about this, this is straight off the uh, Stock Aitken and Walkman website, by the way. Nothing Can Divide Us was a debut single from Australian recording artist Jason Donovan. Um, it was written and produced by Stock Aitken and Walkman, of course. Um, Rick Astley got as far as laying down some vocals on Nothing Can Divide Us, which was a stridently synthy new saw number before rejecting it. Mm-hmm. On yeah. August 1st, Jason stepped in, making it his own. Um, so this is a, you know, a Rick Astley reject, essentially. <laughs> so Not the first, you- and it won't be the last. Tells you all you need to know. I think he gave it up and he thought, no, I don't want to do this. I'm going to give <laughs> so it up. Risk, Rick Astley reject could be his best of album title, really. <laughs> You'll uh, be pleased to know on this episode 100, Rick Astley has actually joined us. Here he is. Hey, hey Rick. Hey, Rick. Peter Mike, turn it down. I don't like it. <laughs> Make us some tea. Good Lord, Nothing man. Nothing can divide it's us. Really for. Uh, yeah, this is a dreadful song. Awful. Popular, rubbish. though. Popular in the charts, yeah, though, wasn't it? Of course it, it was. It's it Neighbours Mania. Oh, strange, strange career 
the arc of Jason Donovan, you know, from pop, uh, from soap actor to pop person to crackhead to. Whatever. You missed out. You missed out his coat of multicolored, well, you know, his coat uh, of many colors. I mean, yeah, yeah, not forgetting, remember, the guy opened up Freshly Place in Grimsby. No way. He did. <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah. With a crowbar one night. He got no, three he, years. He really did. No, he really did open it. He was, <laughs> he he was the guy that, yeah, he opened it, yeah. Is it Jason is he still Donovan? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it was opened. It was, efficient, it was officially opened by Jason Donovan. It was wow. And then he went. And then he went on to do a gig in Cleethorpes after that at the um, at the, no, the no, 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 no. Well, either of those things. It was the um, Memorial Fitties. Oh God, it's oh, even worse. Yeah, he, was, did, he did a gig at the Fitties after that. Yeah. Oh God, his career high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went no, from doing um, Jason. What was it? Multicolor Dreamcoat, and he went. The, he was, you know, once he finished his long-standing, you know, um, <laughs> placement in the London limelight, he thought he'd do a bit of a tour of Cleethorpes and, you know, the, the lesser-known seaside venues. Oh, open open a few shopping centres. So good luck to the man. I've been glad he's ate these things. Like exactly. nice apparently, apparently he's quoted as saying, I hate scatter baths and all it stands for, which seems like an odd thing to say. But <laughs> That's probably why it got knocked down. No, yeah, well, it's, it's been demolished now. It's gone, yeah. yeah. It's no, gone. No, it's gone. Yeah. Well gone. No. Well, he got the he got the diamond board shipped to his house so he could burn it personally. <laughs> But that's just the way it is. That's the way he rolls. That's the it way he rolls. Bloody Donovan. Anyway, Stupid number 54, idiot. World Without You by Belinda Carlisle. Mm-hmm. I like this. I like everything about that 1988 Belinda Carlisle. And that might have contributed to some of the stains that you keep referring to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you just ruined Belinda Carlisle for everybody. Absolutely. The shaky brown sauce, man. Uh, yeah, Belinda Carlisle's <laughs> just mini-sicked in her mouth and she doesn't even know why. <laughs> Everybody just loved Belinda Carlisle. She they did. was just so attractive. And obviously, yes. so I, I, I went back today and I watched a, a number of the Go-Go's tracks, you know, that kind of more early 80s new wave poppy sound. And they, they turned her around into this perfect little pop pixie. And did. I think it's fantastic. I've got the album uh, on vinyl. I've got uh, all kinds of Belinda Carlisle stuff on vinyl. And I think she's bloody great. That's what I have to say. <laughs> now, am I right in thinking that she was the one that was married to... Um, Mason, James Mason. Mason, son. James Mason's son. Mason yeah. Mason, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, Mason, he was. The Mason, double, Mason. Double Mason. Yeah, it was his name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I already don't like him. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, lucky lucky fellow that he was. Remember, we had a friend. No. We can't name that friend, but we had a friend no. who was mildly obsessed with Bunda Carlisle, as I recall. I kept mine under my bed sheets, my obsession. Hello. Oh, God. You want to marry my son? <laughs> put, put down your albums. <laughs> put down, um, let, please leave the go go's. <laughs> Go solo. <laughs> I have two procured suits that will match the <laughs> vinyl cover for your album. Um, no, uh, I like the Go Go's as well. I've been listening to quite a bit of that stuff actually um, on the back yeah, of a good. few things we've listened to. Right. Yeah, it, it is Jane particularly Weedling. good. And it's you right. reviewed that other song the other day, the Jane Weedling one. What's it? Rush Hour. What a bloody yeah, song that is. Yeah, great track. Yeah, I knew you'd yeah. like that track. Actually. Really? Yeah, I knew we, we looked at her album yeah. as well, but you haven't heard that yet. Um, yeah. I thought this was all right. It's just it's a bit bland. It's not it's not as good as the other good Belinda Carlisle stuff. It's just got her usual vocal tricks in as well as you do all the time. I know that sound. Yeah, the gargle. Yeah. 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 She should have done a toothpaste or a sort of mouthwash advert, I feel. Maybe she did. She probably should have done. Um, (laughs) Anyway, coming in at number 58 is Turn On The Night by Kiss. this song. God, Gene Simmons' hair is just ridiculous. To any artist where you know that the eyes are supposed to be halfway up the head, that's all wrong. I mean, it's, it's really I don't understand. I don't understand what the attraction is to a seven foot tall, good looking rock star with a nine inch tongue. <laughs> He's not I don't seven get foot it. Tall. 
He is. He's, he's about six foot eight, isn't he? Um, what's he's his name? He's really tall. Yeah, he's really tall. Famously oh. tall. Wow, when he puts looking. his platforms on, he, you have to, you know, they have to have all the ceilings in his house specially heightened. <laughs> he, has to, he has to wear breathing apparatus because uh, the air's so is he's, he's genuinely is really, a really tall guy. Oh, um, look you have up. to be. Look at that hair. That makes him another foot taller. Yeah, True. Exactly. That is True. a power perm, that, isn't it? Look at that. Yeah. Is that here? What are the pictures here that you put up? Who is that? It's just, right? a, that's just a guy with a, that's a guy <laughs> with a uh, perm. It just looks like just some random you've put up. On the well, if you click on that, click on that link, it'll tell you all about the perm and, and all the information you need to know about perming in general. Just, you know. <laughs> so it does. I, thought, I thought you might need a, you know a, a perm link. I thought it was something from like some seventies surf movie. <laughs> I yeah, thought nice. it was. I thought it was from one from Kiss without the makeup. No, 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 no. no. He looks a bit like um, a little bit like the guy out of um, Enter the Dragon. He looks a bit like that guy <laughs> with his uh, you know a perm and sideburns is an odd combination. Normally the perm. The poodle perm would cover the sideburn, but his don't. So no, that's no. unusual. Because of Kiss, of course, the guy in Kiss, Gene Simmons, there, his, his perm covers his sideburns, but it covers pretty much the entire sides of his head. It does. <laughs> it does, yes. It's the lack of face. It looks a bit like what was that Soul Glow thing, doesn't it? Really? It is Soul oh, yeah, Glow. Isn't there's some, some soul shots. Soul Glow. Some yes. shots in that video. There's backlight in there, but there's some shots in that video which are backlit to such an extent. It's just it's Halo ish. It's ridiculous. I mean, I found a newfound respect for Paul Stanley's vocals off that track, I have to say, because I, I, I forget how good a vocalist he is. I just don't like their music and songs. They all feel really trite and silly. Yeah. They're very, I light, didn't mind they're it. very I lightweight. Didn't mind it. I, it, there's something else, some more metal coming up that I didn't like, but I didn't, I didn't dislike this. Yeah. Um, Sorry, number sixty-five is "Waiting for the Great Leap Forward" by Billy Bragg, and I posted a link here. The sort of thing he performs this on David Letterman. And uh, no, it's so weird. Weird. That was That's very weird. odd. Would, would anyone know who he was? No, because he's like performing this sort of this kind of song about. I can't remember what's it about. It's just this sort of uh, political, re- resist- political resistance type song yeah. on, on mainstream American TV. It's so yeah. odd. It's so weird. It's like getting Jeremy Corbyn on Tiswas or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre. But uh, yeah, it happened. There's the video. We'll post the link. But why does he talk about the Great Leap Forward when the Great the, the Great Leap Forward was the man-made famine in China? Weird. What's he? <laughs> Seems. Well, that that is just how he likes to write his songs. <laughs> it does. Some some people like to sing like Belinda Carlisle, just sing about ooh, uh, you know, the world's a lovely place. Billy Bragg, famine. I think maybe his other song, his love song, is like you've got eyes like Hiroshima or something. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow. You know, get him and um, what's his name from the Smiths together. They'd have a right laugh. No, they, could, they could do Nagasaki Nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like the Baywatch version of Baywatch, but with the Billy Bragg in it. But with way, way worse tans. I've got this image of Billy Bragg. This has got really dark. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it was. And it's the reason why it was a very short lived. Uh, Pilot only sort but of. Did, did you watch the video? Did you watch the video? I did Where, watch the video. It's crap. Did, crap, crap, green screen nonsense. Well, it was like an early version of Forrest Gump where they tried to put Billy Bragg in with Khrushchev and, and yeah, all yeah. And that's why Shea Guevara and and what's his face Castro, which is why I thought that this was really weird to be on a mainstream American chat show. I know the, the Booker that day. They just they just gave the booking thing to some random Yahoo who just walked past one day. Yeah, so who do you want to book? You got to buck Billy Bragg. His lyrics will change your life. He definitely needs to be on the David Letterman show. Billy Bragg is your man. Get him on. Got to book him now. Two weeks later, bloody Billy Bragg's on. Well, his agent's not going to turn that down, is he? Do you want to be on Letterman? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Just seeing Letterman holding his album and going, and here we've got Billy Bragg. It's like, yeah. Uh, Tell us a bit weird. about your album. Well, it's about the Great Leap Forward, which is a man-made famine in China. 
Okay, that's enough from Billy Bragg. Um, we'll be back after this break with uh, somebody more interesting. Goodbye. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, number 71 is Uchi Coochie by Baby Ford. I don't know what this was. I, I tried to listen to it, but I didn't get I very far. I remember listening to this back in the day, and it is like, you know, it is one of those kind of random dance tracks. And I actually quite liked it. They did a couple of good songs, Baby Ford, songs, tracks. Uh, and it is, it's, it's a bit noisy, isn't it? There's like, sample children crying and nonsense yeah. lyrics and squelchy 808 kind of yeah vibe. the akai sampler's been hoyed yeah. into full effect with that one <laughs> it's it's a bit noisy it's not gonna convert you is it it's, not, it's definitely not that's, gonna convert Adrian. that isn't no. no that's that's the worst beatboxing ever <laughs> I can, I can uh, like. uh no um, it reminded me of S Express, but not. Um, there was a lot of yeah, S Express imitators, only because it had that seventies, seventies. I get that disco. It had a disco sort of a, a, a speeded up disco backbeat in there, sort of, which was the mainstay of a lot of those Akai sampled house tracks, where they just sort of, you know, not like the KLF where they just blatantly nicked an entire song and just put a few extra noises on it, but not far off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In at number seventy-eight was Rags by Crazy Head. They're I'd never heard of them. They're an English garage punk band from Leicester. Um, okay. Lumped in with the largely media-created Grebo scene, me think someone's mm. having a bit of a pop. Mebo. They were influenced by the garage rock of the late 60s, as well as bands like the Ramones, the Stooges, and Captain Beefheart. They've often okay. described themselves as an urban bastard blues band, and Doesn't their songs range in theme from trenchant social commentary to the surreal, but always with an underlying vein of black humour. I think they've written that. They've written their own wiki. I, yeah. I think they could have just replaced that whole paragraph with just two words, bloody rubbish. And that, that's about it, really. Yeah, soft with an underlying strength, which was the tagline for a toilet roll as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, well, they're, their mascot was a small Labrador puppy. Um, <laughs> yeah, are you just making that up? Yeah, no, well, no, yeah. Yes. What, for the band? <laughs> the band had a mascot that was a puppy. Yeah. Oh, you want yes. that Andre? Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ, Gary. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up, Bond. Um, No, I never want to hear that song again. They're demons from another world. It didn't last very long today, but... No, no. Uh, Number 89 was Don't Rush Me by Taylor Dane. Bloody Taylor Dane. Taylor Dane did two good songs, Prove Your Love and whatever the other one was. It's a funky bass line, that. Too funky. It's just really bad, isn't it? Yeah, it is bad. And she's pig ugly in that as well. Sorry, but... You know, she's looked a bit like Lady Gaga, and I don't think she's pig ugly. We're all just how God made us, basically. (laughs) Yeah, because God made us. She's fine to me, but it's just one of those... There's a load of these songs coming out. We'll see a couple more later on. But this kind of sort of funk, soul, bluesy, you know, this kind of of dancing funk sort of thing coming out of America with female vocalists. I don't a remember a lot about Taylor Dane, though, and, and generally. I remember, like you say, there's a couple of tracks I remember, but I don't remember really much about did, them. Did you see the clip? I followed a, a YouTube kind of trail and ended up with Taylor Dane on The American Masked Singer. Have you seen no, any of that? No. So, I've seen The Masked Singer, it, but not the US one. Any, have you watched, do you understand the concept of this mask? Only, only through Gogglebox, yes, is it, unfortunately. Is it, it's, is it just me, or is it just the worst programme of all time? Don't even get me started on it no the new one have you seen the new one this was on this week's i think it was this week's goggle box i was catching this i haven't watched it but there's a new one where i can only assume this so what they've got is they've got dancers with you know the uh, suits on with the balls on so they're being motion captured and then they dance and then there's a shot of the stage and on the stage is a cg animal dancing 
Um, no, that's a right. one. I haven't seen that one. But, so this is a new one. So all I can think of, right, is the, there's a shot of the dancer st- dancing off stage, and he's doing. They're doing all the moves. Oh, I've seen. And then they're on the. Th- and then they're obviously compositing the animal yeah. into the yeah, stage. I've seen this. I've seen but all this. All the audience are standing up and going, "Whoa, it's amazing!" It's but so like, bad. What are they watching? It's they're an watching empty stage. <laughs> watching nothing. I don't get it. I don't understand. There's no screen showing them the dancer dancing. It's it's basically an idea for television, isn't it? They get they take these people with no careers or dying, <sighs> clonk them in a uh, it's a knockout Europe type costume. Oh, he's falling over, da, 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 da. and it's just the conceit of it. It's just appalling. How do mm. they know who take like the, I get the biggest thing is like when they take like the Taylor Dane clip. They took off the it took them twenty fucking minutes to get the bloody thing off her head, and then when she came <laughs> out, everyone went. Yeah, who the hell is this person? That's what they say every time they reveal whoever it is on the mass Singer. It's just it's always that they way. They don't. I told you last time, Jackie Potato in that show was bloody Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi. <laughs> Richie bloody Sambora, I nearly died. He was dressed as a jacket bloody potato. <laughs> Whoa, he's halfway done. <laughs> yeah, his, his feet were in butter blocks. He had little butter block shoes. <laughs> Whoa. And he had like a knob of butter coming out of his head. Oh, it's just <laughs> honestly, when he took his mask off and it was Richie Sambora, I'm like, no, oh, that wasn't no. real. Was you saying I thought you were making that up? No, that's real. And the British on the mass singer, the most recent series, Richie Jackie Sambora. Potato in it was Richie Sambora. What? They've He's... had Kim Wilde on there as well. Oh my god! Yeah, thank you. They've had some. They've had some re- relatively famous people. A guy from Busted was on there, and I don't understand the conceit. Yeah. I just don't get it. I can't. No. That, I can't well, that's that's I tell you who was on it. It was dressed as bloody Viking. Was the lead singer of Aha? Uh, he was on the Masked Singer. Oh Jesus! Masked, yeah. It's crap. It's just crap. Everything about it is crap. I can't even bear to watch it. I, <laughs> no. I just die every time. Well, I see if, if you want to see something that's equally as tragic, check out a TV show called I Can Hear Your Voice. No, I don't want to. <laughs> What's that? That sounds like a bit of a stalker. It's, it's where they get these people on who come on and mime, mime and pretend to be good singers. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. Yeah. So honestly, it's just... It's all mime. dreadful. It's all dreadful Saturday night uh, telly. Society has gone apocalyptic. It's yeah. the world. <laughs> 11th of September, number f- in at number four, I Quit by Bross. Wish they had. I really wish they had. It rubbish this. This is a terrible tune. It's barely a tune here. It's just, there's, there's a four minutes of noise. I couldn't hear a tune. Like, well, no, I think they got the words I quit was actually the, the, they waited for the producer who got so pissed off with these assholes. He wrote some notes down and the top of it said, I quit. And he walked out and they thought, that's a bloody brilliant line. That is, we'll make it into a song. Well, and they wouldn't have done it. They, they never wrote a single one of their own songs. No, they didn't. I, I, this thing about Bross, I don't get it. They were piss awful then, piss awful since, and piss awful now. It's, yeah. <laughs> but you weren't yeah. a teenage girl, impressionable teenage girl, at least not fully. No, no, no I had my moments. <laughs> <laughs> those lost weekends. <laughs> <laughs> those gross tops on those shoes of yours. You had the gross tops, not me. I sold gross tops. I made a quite, quite a little bit of coin out of that for all the little impressionable idiots. Uh, number 29, moving on. Riding on a train by the Pasadena's soul influence boy band, I guess. Not Where are they going? What's, the, what's it all about? Don't know. They've got like young, young, young people's rail car. Didn't go wherever. <laughs> singing on a train, and like you know, maybe they went into the little shop and bought some little bottles of prosecco to take on as a snack. <laughs> One of the members of this is really ugly. I mean, he was really, really ugly. I mean, to a point yeah. where I was like, had to, had I to think stop I watching. Know the one you're on about, yeah, you know yes. the one I'm on about. He's the one who looks like him out of a uh, uh, New Kids on the Block. There's one of them that's really no, ugly I was as well. About the guy who looked like the guy from Red Dwarf. 
Uh, it could have been him, yeah, but I'm on about this one in New Kids yeah. on the Block who's really ugly as well. There's always oh, one I of these know. bands. It's like Gary Barlow. There's always one of these that's really ugly, but he was really ugly. It's like, ugh. Careful. Gary Barlow's eye will come after you. He's wangy eye. He'll come after you and he'll get you with it. <laughs> that should just... You should just kind of like just market this as Impressions Weekly. <laughs> Who says what we What are you don't? saying, Gary? Look, if I'm going to write some music and songs and that, I want you to be singing them with one eye raised because that's how I he's wrote turned, them. You've turned into, he's turned into he's Ringo, turned Ringo Starr. Star, yeah. <laughs> that's All right, Thomas. Thomas, Thomas I was like, why is Ringo Starr talking about Gary Barlow? <laughs> no, Thomas. They're one, in the, they're one in the same person. Did you not know this? In the same room. <laughs> Ringo Barlow. <laughs> one paid their taxes. Gary Starr. Yeah. Anyway, back to the thingy, and yeah, oh, um, I never want to think about Gary Star. So, soul influenced boy band is four words that should be disavowed immediately. Anyway, yeah, indeed. Number fifty five is "Getting Funky" by Kid and Play. I actually had this on in the car yesterday, driving back from London. So that's quite fortuitous that I've come to this because I remember thinking, "Oh, this is a good one," because they did a couple of good singles, "Getting Funky" and "Do This My Way," which were massive at the time. And uh, these guys, everybody remembers these guys, Christopher Reed. Who was Kid and Christopher Martin, who was Play, but uh, mostly everybody remembers his haircut. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. It's very, tall, very tall. Massive haircut, set off style. Obviously, I modelled my hair. From it, you know, <laughs> is, that what you, is that what it was modelled on? <laughs> oh, God's sake. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, but yours went out in all directions. It didn't it wasn't just go perfect. up. It wasn't perfect. I, I did it on myself. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> It wasn't perfect. You're not wrong there. No, they probably went to a place that could actually use scissors and operate. And sh- yeah. shaved aside. It's supposed yeah. to go up, not out. Yours was more Spaniard. And fl- Spaniard. a flat side. No, it wasn't Spaniard. That was like a big, massive. <laughs> yeah, you had, yeah, you had, yeah. A, flat, you had a, flat, a flat back. <laughs> oh, I flat back haircut. Yeah, it something wasn't... like flat tops. He had a flat back. <laughs> Straight from MFI. <laughs> That was in the past. But do you do you remember that the, the, they then got put into these films called the Heart House House Party? party yeah, I the House Party yes. films. Yeah. I never watched any of them. I know who they are. Originally, they, they, it was Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff who were going to be in it, and they pulled out for various reasons. Maybe they thought they were just absolute crap. And uh, they, there was loads of them. Yeah, they were pretty Set big hits, like, weren't they? Kind of a yeah, kind of like a black version of what's that one? What's that one? Animal where, House. Yeah kind of stuff and it, it, yeah it wasn't for me but anyway so anyway to kid and play getting funky a good track but they only did really two or three did those kind of films lead to things like was it friday with uh yeah. ice cube there's a whole kind of yeah. like who's that guy who's who's that guy who put up uh what's his name harry and megan and he's out oh, so who's that he sound like my mum when she's alive who's that guy <laughs> who, who put thingy up you know him, yeah. him with the eyebrows he basically this producer who made his millions <laughs> through gary barlow like, Films aimed at a Shut black up, Ringo. audience. <laughs> Megan and then Harry's. Let me Megan and Harry's house. Thunderously loud keyboard sounds. <laughs> Sorry. You go and Google that, Gary. We'll carry on. Google um, it quietly, damn you. Google it quietly. I, I'm not going to find But anyway, so, well, some of your listeners will know exactly what we're talking about. Yes, so, yes, yeah, that guy. Yeah, they will. Um, in at number 56 was Heart of Glass by Associates. This was abominable. Abominable. I, yeah. I didn't actually mind it. Oh, it was awful. It started yeah. a bit crap, and I get that. And I like the video. There was some, at least there was some kind of uh, aesthetic to the video, uh, which I could get. You but... just liked the the woman with the, uh, you know, the uh, what, who looked like she was selling stuff in a cinema. Yes, I, I was about to say something along those lines. She was 
She was absolutely lovely. There was very little going on underneath the box lovely. that she was carrying. Yeah, she was, I did notice her. I did notice her. Yeah, but, of course but, you did. But the, <laughs> the, the image associates... is burnt into your screen. You can see it from <laughs> here on your glasses. <laughs> Steamy. <laughs> it's etched its way into the glass. Don't worry about that. And so the Associates were one of those cool bands from Scotland. And obviously, uh, Graham is aware of the Surly Bassy and Yellow song called The Rhythm Divide. Yeah, which, good track, uh, that. Which he wrote, uh, and he did some other wow. stuff with Yellow. Uh, uh, but sadly, he committed suicide. He had depression in 1997. And the other guy in Alan Rankine, Rankine died last month. So there's no more associates. But do you know what? By the end of the song, I thought, this isn't as half as bad as you two were making out. It, it wasn't great. But I can't, I, if I listen to it another couple of times, I think I might get into it. You like no. anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like, but I don't like I, bad versions of Blondie songs generally. No. There's too many I, of I'm them I'm telling out there. you now, I'm not going to like the next one. Well, there's a brand new world by Five Star in at number 61. No. Oh, okay. No. Um, I thought this was really weird. The budget for the video looked like, because the last one was in a quarry, this looked like they were in a building being built. It's like this. They were. Really weird. And its song sounded strangely like Roxette, I thought. It did. And it did, it did. sound like uh, St. Elmo's Fire as well. It had that. Yeah. Well, they're very, they're a derivative <laughs> outfit. Let's be, let's be brutally honest. Everything about them is a facsimile. Yes, exactly. And we've said that as we've followed their progress over the years. Yeah. And we said that. Everything about Five Star is just, oh, it's like an also-ran version of someone else's stuff in every yeah. possible way. Mm. They've ripped off their entire iconography. They've ripped off into their entire sound, their entire look. There's nothing original about them. And that's okay if you're doing that, but be honest about it. No. Yeah. Um, and at number 64, it's Feel Free by Soul to Soul. Gary's favourite band. I never liked Soul to Soul. I never liked <laughs> we, we used to like sit in Graham's bedroom and go, Doo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Soul to soul beat that became so famous. Well, it's it's that. a sample. It's a very famous sample, isn't it? That's yeah. like, and they used it in like so much of this stuff. And I, I, fair play to Jazzy B and the, the guy who made his money and he did well out of it. But I just found it really boring. Yep. And at number seventy five is Hallelujah Man by Love and Money. So bland. Sounded like a knockoff curious that he killed a cat. Yeah, I thought it sounded like bloody what's his name, J.K. from Jamiroquai. Yeah, yeah, annoying, yeah. annoying, bland, just tedious, yeah. soulless white men talking crap. Well, he made a career out of impersonating Stevie Wonder, essentially, didn't he? Who Jamiroquai? J.K. from Jamiroquai. If you look, listen to half of the Stevie Wonder songs from the late seventies, and then listen to any of the Jamiroquai albums later, come later, he's just ripping him off completely in every possible way. Mm. He, was so. a, he was a funny bugger, wasn't he? Who, JK or Stevie Wonder? <laughs> His stand-up was amazing. <laughs> listen to Superstition and then just listen to any track by Jamiroquai and tell me that that doesn't sound exactly like that sound. It's just, uh, no, they that do my head in. Strange dancing he did. It's like, could you put the kettle on, Jay? <laughs> yeah, well, strange thing is, I actually, now that, he might be a real miniature shit who can't do anything useful, but his guitarist in his band is a really nice guy. I had a drink with him in a pub in Cambridge, and he's a really cool guy. So, just let oh, you know. Oh, wow. There we go. Good luck to him. Name drop. I didn't know his name. I'm just <laughs> assuming he was the uh, guitarist in Durant, because <laughs> he, he said he was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bob, I'm Bob Jamiroquai. I'm, I'm Bob, guitar player. <laughs> wow, oh, what, you look you like playing? him as well. Uh, Jamiroquai, that famous guitar-heavy band. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> uh, number 76 is Ship of Fools by Robert Plant. Mm. This is no. boring, wasn't it? Loads of hand yeah. acting in that opening bit to the song. Loads of hand acting. Very blue as well. Really blue. Look at that picture. Yeah. Blue. It reminded me of the loads of sequences out of the Dune film, the the, the early Dune film, not the recent one, 
with his other water drops and stuff, which made me wonder if he's ever been to Arrakis <laughs> and if he's, in fact, the Kwisatz Haderach. <laughs> it would explain a lot. It really would. It would, it would explain Robert a lot. Plant, you are the Kwisatz Haderach. No, I'm not. You are now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lyric from a... That does sound like a lyric from a Led Zeppelin song, though. It does. And the, the weird staining on his lips in that image made me wonder if he'd just been sucking off a Smurf. <laughs> I, that's not an image you need to keep in your mind, really, is it? Look at no. it. Not, not an image at all. That's no. Robert Plant's milky lips. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Robert Plant is a really nice guy. Yes, I've he's heard that. He's a really nice guy. He's into loads of kind of stuff. He's really appreciative of a lot of... Humanitarian. Know. Robert Plant's yeah. milky lips sounds like something you get in a 10p mixed bag of the 80s. <laughs> Can I have a and... quarter of milky lips from Robert Plant? <laughs> do you want the, Robert do you want, Plant's milky lips. Do you want the originals or the knockoffs? <laughs> oh, knockoffs, please. I ain't got none of the money. And they're like half penny mojos. Similar. Similar. <laughs> the knockoffs are by Robert, Ringo Starr. Robert kisses each one individually before they go into the bag. <laughs> Here he is, Robert. Someone wants That's the kind of, of guy he is. Quarter of your lips. <laughs> Pass them here. Mwah. There's one. Mwah. There's two. Always oh, going to be here all day. <laughs> oh. Good old Robert Plant. Good old Robert Plant's milky lips. <laughs> that could be a greyhound that sounds like a greyhound mate. I put a fiver on, on him uh, coming around the outside it's Robert Plant's milky lips he's coming closely followed, lips. closely followed by Gary Barlow's eyebrow <laughs> Gary Barlow's eyebrow's fallen it today it's no good he's broken his leg oh dear uh, and milky lips stumps to a victory there 10 to 1 odds very good very good for somebody not Robert though he's not the person that gambles humanitarian no. He'll kiss a dog's lips, but he won't bet on it. <laughs> In at number 80, talking all that jazz by Stetsasonic. Never heard of this. Never heard of it. But um... This is classic. I remember taping this off John Peel. And I've been and in fact, one of the tracks I listened to yesterday, as it was a compilation of 1988 classic rap. And interestingly enough, in this in this song, the whole point of the song is talking about the grief that people got for sampling, yeah, yeah, uh, mm. reworking stuff, and you know the point that they make in 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 their thing is that you know at the end of the day, the, the line is tell the truth, James Brown was old till Eric and Rakim came out with I Got Soul. Rap brings back old R and B, and if we would not, people could have forgot. So it's making the point that essentially, you know, rap took a form that was essentially on its ass and uh, brought it back. Yeah. Let's be honest. There was a great, there was a David, a guy called David Axelrod, who was a producer in the 70s, did some fantastic albums. And he said, his line was, I never really understood uh, hip hop, but I understood it when I started to get the checks. So <laughs> it made a lot of people quite rich. I imagine uh, it did. Because of all the sampling. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think they probably did... Uh... Film it outside some Grimsby building. It, it was does. A, no, it's it's weird, it's the that whole opening. kind of thing. Of, it was like, hey, hey, do you remember the thing we did with in front of Whitgift with, with, with the with our film? And it was like exactly like that. It, it so, was. Yeah. Uh, but I did like their uh, matching white suit. Yeah, they were good, weren't they? I enjoyed that. Yeah, great were, track, were... actually. That really good. And it reminded me of the group Black Sheep as well. And that's no bad thing because they're another great out wrap outfit from that time cool yeah i'm i'm you know pleased it got to number 80 number 87 is easier in the morning by the hot house flowers um which just sounded like music for 80s 90s rom-coms to me it did you were right on that you were right on that and i thought maybe instead of you know a, a sitcom it could have been boom with <laughs> yeah yeah it could have been anything kind of, 
Yeah, I wrote a little synopsis there. Um, it was the opening <laughs> credits for Hearts and Home, a romantic comedy series starring Nicholas Lindhurst as Barry Binns, a private city dentist who, after a complex breakup, heads back home to Hartlepool and meets Jenny Hart, played by Sam Fox, a down-on-her-look part-time life model from London. <laughs> Humour followed. Humour, hilarity ensued. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't the best song, really, was it? It's crap. I hate Hot House Flowers. It was Not very Van thing. Morrison, very Van Morrison like, you know, and I love Van Morrison, but this I could you know, easier in the morning. That that's like a reference to having a poo, isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Especially if you've uh, yeah, had a curry curry the night before. Curry the night before, easier in the morning. That's yeah. the <laughs> that's the different thing. Come get Robert Plant to kiss your lip. Um yeah. minute number ninety five is always there for you by Striper. White metal. Striper. White metal. <laughs> Christian First time metal appeared in our chart as well. It really is. Is that the only time they're ever gonna appear? Because they're not very good, are they? Uh they they have a massive the, the albums are quite big. But that those outfits, oh my lord, yellow and black, what's that all about? Horrible wasp nonsense. Massive, massive band in the US. You can't yeah, underestimate how massive they were in the US. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um so Striper is an American Christian metal band from Orange County, California. The group's lineup consists of Michael Sweet, Oz Fox, Perry Richardson, and Robert Sweet and Drums. This is this made me laugh. Striper's drummer, Robert Sweet, also created a backronym. That word made me angry, but for their name, salvation through redemption, yielding peace, encouragement, and righteousness. Yep, no DNA in the Scotch cadaver there. That's all I can think of. <laughs> a what backronym. a tosh. Backronym. No, I'm what not having that word. So basically, they've, they've called themselves Striper, and then they've, they've essentially gone, oh, maybe Striper actually stands for this. So it's an acronym backwards. They've, they've gone back and re retconned a, a saying into what striper stupid. actually means they've just tried to justify stupidity and that's never a good thing with the made-up words is it well as, as a bunch of christian rockers you know what i said they say, they say the devil has all <laughs> the best tunes and boy were they right yeah yeah it's not great that it has really trite lyrics and a really weird it keeps putting little um chapter and verse from the bible on everything in the video I as well. if you notice that's yeah, very odd like um, the, the, this was the problem wasn't it something they accused all these bands of being devil worship and stuff and they weren't and then we get these lot pumping, you know, actually putting verse and thingy straight into it. No one gave, no one gave a thingy. It's just as much no. propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. Up as rock music nonsense. Exactly. Not good. No. And a lot really of hair, all that hairspray they used definitely put a hole in the ozone, which would have helped them get a much better view of the Almighty. Anyway, with the <laughs> hole they created. True. True indeed. Eighteenth uh, September, and at number nine was Domino Dancing by the Pet Shop mm. Boys. Everybody likes this one, doesn't it? Yes. Which is odd. Have you ever asked anyone why they like it? Because it's got a good tune. I don't know. It's just weird. Everyone seems to like Domino Dancing. It just seems to have hit a bit of a nerve. Bit of a sort of a... All day, all day, Domino Dancing. It's got a good hook. The guy in the video looks really young, though. He's very young. It weirded me out a little bit. The story of the video is that they've got this gorgeous woman, a model called Donna Botman, and in... You know, I vaguely remember that PVC outfit that she wore in the video. When vaguely, was, uh, vaguely, 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 <laughs> intimately yeah. acquainted. He wasn't looking and, at his uh, screen at the time; it was on for long. But but the storyline of the of the video, I watched the whole video today, is that he basically goes off with the other guy, and it's all that homoerotic imagery. So he's actually towards the end. It appears to be the pair of them seem to flounce around in the in the waves and get arrested. It's, it's basically the character arc is that he. He, he's kind of liking women, but then ends up in uh, being a homosexual, which is... That's the up. part you remember seeing. But at that point, your glasses had steamed up from all the furious <laughs> bloody fapping you were doing. 
<laughs> well, there wasn't anybody in. <laughs> so by this point, the ball nostrils were in full effect and the glasses had steamed. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Did you just say bull nostrils? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. Oh, man. I don't think I can carry on. <laughs> That's what Gary said. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is a very good track. It's a very good album. Introspective. It is a great Jasper. song. Yes, it's a very good song. No, don't don't like them. But that's a good track by them. And just as a footnote, there's a really good Sid version of that, which did the demo rounds extraordinarily from Johann Piergaard. Yeah. And um, sadly, he's passed away now. But the his legacy of great music, and that's one of them. It's a great little Sid version of that. It was what Indeed. what kind of made me like it actually. Yeah, there was there was the other one as well. There was the great Sid version of Suburbia as well, which I remember. Which oh was, God, yeah, I remember. yeah, that did the rounds as well. It was on every Akari yeah. intro between here and yeah. Christmas. I think at one point it was like, yeah. oh, just that and the S Express tune that was on everything. In fact, we used it all the time as well. So. Yeah. Um, in at number sixteen, she wants to dance with me by Rick Astley. Can't help thinking he should have gone with the Jason Donovan track. Yeah. Did you see the? Did you watch the video for this? I watched. I did. It. I watched. When it. it's stupid, that scene Rubbish. at the start where he just goes and sits down and orders a you know a meal. Yeah, <laughs> I did want to say that the chorus hook reminded me of something else, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Um, and it's been bugging me, but I don't know if either of you sort of recognise. I, 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 I didn't think it was. It sounded exactly like every other bloody Stock Aitken and Walkman track of that time for me. Possibly. No, the, there was... the video, though, that poor woman who's the waitress, everyone keeps getting in her way. Like, she just wants to take the burgers out. And it's like all these people just dancing around. Yeah, just like... getting in the way. Did you um, notice, by the way, how loud his ooh was at the beginning of that? <laughs> it's like really loud. It's a loud ooh at the beginning of that it song. Up the, the You're only getting ooh these. with Rick oh, Astley. totally. R- Rick Astley's hair. Honestly, if he if he ran at you, he'd spike you on the top of that like a like a horned <laughs> rhino. <laughs> They're all horned. <laughs> yeah, just, let's just say just a the rhino. Way he just casually, t- casually turns up in that taxi. He's like, "Oh, we're off. we're going to go in here. Hey, everyone, let's go in here." It's like just go in and order a meal. You don't have to sit there goggling the women in there. You and there are, then women going, "It's Ricastly. Look, it's Ricastly. It's Ricastly." It's like, look, just get over it. Not yeah. that famous at this point, you know. We've got one not. song, one hit here. Bloody T boy. In at number eighteen, "Bad Medicine" by Bon Jovi. Yeah, the track. It is a great the track. track. By that, yeah, it yeah. is. I remember yeah. listening to this uh, at your Graham, and you constantly had this Bon Jovi thing going on and on and on. So it's a good track. You know, it, it doesn't do anything for me personally, but you know, they seem like good guys. John Bon Jovi's down in his restaurant washing the pots up, helping the homeless, and all kinds of stuff. So good luck to them. Yeah, um, yeah, they, they are very kind guys. Of course, up to the point when Richie Sambora was in a potato. Don't even get me started. But this, this, there's actually two versions of this video out there. There's the what the, the standard version or a version is the one with this is just concert footage. Yeah, and then there's the one with the screeching, horrific shouting of Sam Kinison at the start, where he's like. You can't make a decent rock band. We'll do it. And they take the equipment and it's just, you know, lots of handheld video footage sort of of the band performing. Mm. Um, that's the one that did the rounds on MTV. But yeah, I, I, I don't like show. Sam Kinison's humour at all. I don't like it. It's a bit shouty. So it was, that was it. It's all he did. He's famous for shouting. That is true. But I, I, I remember a few years ago, was, uh, Adrian sent me a text saying, uh, I'm going down to Brighton to, to do a, a Bon Jovi karaoke night. And I text back, well, let me know when you're halfway there. And you went, oh, God, I'm not quite there yet. I don't know. Why do I do that? And then it's like, oh, God, over your head. Wow. That's a niche Bon Jovi joke, though, in all fairness. <laughs> to be fair, I should have got, I should have got that. Um, have, all, all of the things that had to come together for that joke to be happening. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> it was, you yeah. had to be going to Brighton for a rock karaoke. For, <laughs> in order, bon, 
Bon Jovi karaoke night. How long have you been sat on that joke, Gary? It was just a rock karaoke. I was going down to sing Bon Jovi at a rock oh, karaoke. Okay, okay. And I did it yeah, several okay, times. What did you sing, actually? You sang you sang Bad Medicine? No, I sang Living on a Prayer. So I was halfway there. Did yeah. you dress as a potato? <laughs> no, because... No, because I... No. <laughs> That's just what I normally look like. <laughs> He's just how God made him. It, just, Absolutely. It, it was just... It was an old jacket. Way. Absolutely. 24, number 24, One Moment in Time, Whitney Houston. One moment in time. This is weird. It's I saw this, but this is from the album, 1988 Summer Olympic album, One Moment in Time, the soundtrack to the Seoul Olympics. I think I have this album. Of course you do. You have every album, Gary. <laughs> There's no album you don't have apart from the one with Lindley Sardi on the front on cover. vinyl. It's up in the loft. It's in my uh, selling box. It's really quite crap, but you know. Going for a good yeah. price. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Stop using our podcast to sell your crap. <laughs> yeah. Two good pounds Lord, and, a cheek, and a cheeky banana. <laughs> That's no banana. But this song is it's, it, it's horrible. I, I, Whitney Houston was just incredibly talented, incredibly, you know, lovely. And she was let down by the people around her. But quite frankly, this song is like Bill Hicks said, it's like a turd falling into my mouth. Yeah, it ain't good. Wow. It's not one of my no, favourite Whitney Houston ones. But no, it's just weird that they did a soundtrack to the Summer Olympics. Very odd. And at number 31 is Love, Truth and Honesty by Banana Ramanama. Banana Rama. Mm. Banana Rama. I love Banana Rama. I've always loved Banana Rama. Yeah. Absolutely. This was very dull, this song. Very dull. I, 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 yeah, it's not one of the finest, finest moments in the in the oeuvre of uh, Banana Rama. But, you know, it's all right. It, it, whatever. No. no. Siobhan's gone at this point, hasn't she? And the new Jackie Sullivan, the new singer, has come in. She didn't last very long. No. Yeah. She got, uh, they weren't very good at this point. When did when did Dave Stewart step out and Stocker Kelly Walkman step in for them? Was it well, was wow. it just before Wow's this? The this? Album in, yeah, that's right. Wow, it's a very. It's got obviously love in the first degree on some cracking pop songs on it. It's brilliant, and obviously Siobhan was there and so on and so on. But you know, yeah, they went. They're actually still going. They've got a new album out. Uh, there's a great yeah. song on a couple of songs on the new album. You know, they're still going. They're still touring. Um, we were talking about potentially trying to book them for our festival in the summer, but um, we shall see. I wonder if they're a bit riper now. Riper? <laughs> what, bananas, yeah. 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 They're a bit black. Yeah, they're a bit riper on the edge. You've got to use them quick. They're good for, they're good for um, no, banana bread. Oh, I don't like Just mush them up. They're just good for mush. <laughs> they're only good for mushing now. They're only good for mushing. They're not only good for looking at. <laughs> Shut up, yeah. Snepto. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In at number 32 is Spare Parts by Bruce Springsteen. No. Uh, from Tunnel of Love, well, like I said last time, one of my favourite Springsteen albums, but it's it, it's a bit kind of rocky. and It is. The, the, the change in tone that. from the intro story, which he starts to do about one minute 50 or something like that, to when he starts singing at two minutes 37 is quite the thing. He's like, oh, there's a story about this. Uh, <laughs> it's like, Jesus. It's like, But did you notice on that video, there's two things. The, the first thing is that that, Whole intro doesn't exist on the album. It was there's a there's a release that had the intro made, and it's seven minutes long. This video as well, which but it's, is it's actually from a gig in Sheffield. Sheffield. Did you notice on the no? Third, I did not. Video, no. Yeah, DVD. It's like oh, pictures wow. of like 80s Sheffield and Sheffield people in blue jeans. Maybe he's cottoning on to that uh, transit or bus call that thing. What we saw, what was it, Saxon or Magnum recently? Oh yeah, when he Magnum, did that, yeah. They did that song with the uh, video, which was the tour of the Britain's motorways. Yeah, they had the or the M1 and the M25. M1, principally. <laughs> yeah, it was rubbish. Um, M62. <laughs> number 33, Turn It Into Love by Hazel Dean. No. Mm. This was a Kylie song that Stockholm and Woman decided that Kylie never released it as a single. And Stock Aiken 
and Waterman sat there and they thought, that's a cracking single, isn't it? We should put it out. Who are we going to get to do it? Hazel Dean comes in. Right. So now we've got a situation where Stockade and Waterman are just cannibalizing their own song. Yeah. Well, they've given a rejected Rick Astley one to Jason Donovan, you know. Yeah, to, to be fair, you know, even stuff like Beyonce and Rihanna, they all get offered songs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Songs, songs. It bounces around all over the place and some works for some and some works for The classic share track went went around loads of people, did it? Do you believe in life after love? I believe in love. That went around life. loads of people before Cher did it. Same with uh, yeah. Hit Me Baby One More Time did as well, if I remember yeah, rightly. Yeah, they all do. They all go to various people. Yeah. yeah. It ends up where it ends up. It does. What's next? Number 37 is Fake 88 by Alexander O'Neill. I don't mm. like Alexander O'Neill. I never really liked him. I kind no one of does. Semi, semi, kind of accepted fake, but this, the, the, this version was obviously a, a, a getting on the bandwagon for house songs, and it's 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 lost any of pretense of the original. It ain't great. Really bad. It ain't great. It's really yeah. bad. Um, number forty. It's your money. I'm after baby by the Wonder Stuff. Um, as I've noted here, his face is in this video far too much and ruins what is it a is, decent enough is. tune. Just get out of yeah. it, Miles Hunt. It is, why? Why does he need to put his pug ugly mug there? And everything, oh my god, it's just too much chroma key for my liking in that bloody video. There was a lot of chroma key, <laughs> loads of it. Was like, it was B Productions present, yeah, it bloody was, well was. Yeah. I've seen better B Tech videos, we've made better B Tech videos than that. In our <laughs> True, past it was very history. Six form. And it, I, I have to say, I'd never liked Miles, Hunt. never liked the wind stuff. No, soulless, passionless, gormless, absolute shit. Yeah, there we go. You heard it here first. Um, and number 42 is I Don't Believe in Miracles by Sunita. <laughs> exactly as you'd expect a Sunita song to sound. I mean, she she is quite stunning looking in that video. It has to be she said, is, but yeah. the, but it's the song the is uh, in the hair. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. But the electro bass player wrote that song because it's all about the electro bass. That one, <laughs> nothing else like in it. In the video, there was in the video there were two drummers, and it's clearly a yeah. drum machine. They're not drummers; <laughs> they're just imitation. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Fine, just you, you don't like. Let's not just have one drummer. You know, just put two of them. Do you mind not just focus on Sunita? Why just well, why did, this I, to be honest, stage I got performance? Past the legs. Thing. You know, I was struggling. Uh, yeah. Born nostrils again. <laughs> was this, this, she was a squeeze of Simon Cowell. <laughs> yes, yes, she was on. She was on the X Factor, wasn't she? She was no, one of the, co- the one 80s, of the coaches. Yeah. yeah, that's why he brought her in because in the eighties yeah, yeah. she was one of his uh, squeeze. You've been watching Bloody Escape from New York. It's brain squeeze. Squeeze. <laughs> Jesus. Number 45, Burn It Up by the Beatmasters with P.P. Arnold. See, this is this is kind of, you know, interesting that what happened is, is that dance music then started uh, appropriating forgotten vocalists like yeah. P.P. Arnold. You know, the, the classic track from the 60s, the original that is above all, the first cut is the deepest, was P.P. P. P. Arnold. So... Their career path is on the slide, and so they ended up working with all these uh, producers and DJs and putting tracks together. And it's not the best track; it's all right. You know, maybe I'll probably dance to it in the around about that time kind of thing, you know. But I'm, you know, it's about the fact that P.P. Arnold and all these there was another. I think she did stuff with the KLF as well. So I was going to say KLF. You got Tammy Wynette for goodness' sake. And yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So Tammy Wynette and the KLF, you know, she'd never heard of these these people when they called up and said, "Oh, we're going to." And they went over and recorded Tammy Wynette in wherever she lived, Nashville or wherever. Uh, and she didn't have a clue what the hell was going on. Talk, singing about ice cream vans. Well, can and you then, imagine them? We're ringing you directly from Moo Moo. Who are you? <laughs> We're Moo Moo. Who the hell are you, buddy? You're justified you in what now? <laughs> what the fuck is an ice cream van? <laughs> I'm justified and he's ancient. When we met, yeah. it was murder. So that's completely Moida. right. So Tammy, PP, all these 
came through and dance music, you know, took them to the next level and they're still famous nowadays. P.P. Arnold, you know, brilliant. There we go. Um, in at number 51 is So In Love With You by Spear of Destiny. Um, I love this song. Absolutely love it. This is an ace song. My favourite Spear of Destiny track, in fact. There you go. Uh, mm. I, I, I don't mind Spear of Destiny. The one that I remember is the one that you played me once called The Wheel. And that was yeah. very good. Yeah. They're a, they were a good band. They, they, they are were. what they are. Liberate Radio Radio. Nice. But this, I think this song is ace, so it's just quite beautiful. But, you know, there you go. Number 69 is Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Mm. You, you, someone, you've just typed scat. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what it's No, scat is in scat. It's because he sings like this. He makes all the noises, doesn't he? He sings, he does all the noises for the song. He's like, yeah, but it did him, made a bit of day, but him and all that. And, I mean, and all that. they clearly made a lot of money off this. Well, he did, yeah. Well, he well, didn't hire any extra extra instrumentalist, did he? He did it all himself. He, did, he didn't have two did drummers. Selfish bastard. I know. He's like a vocal prince, isn't he? You know, where Prince does well, everything does himself. himself. Yeah, he does all the work yeah. himself, but. They don't even use instruments. That's even better, really. How have yeah. McDonald's not signed up for a burger called the McFerrin? I mean, that would be like gold for them. You could make a Happy Meal called the McFerrin. Come on, this writes itself, this stuff. No, no I, I don't, don't know. Just, I don't... What would it be? It was a Happy Meal. Don't worry, be happy could be the Happy Meal, and it could be the, you know, Bobby McFerrin sponsors it, so call it the McFerrin. I don't know what's in it. Ferret. <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? Ferret burger. Well, it's, 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 it's not this whatever's in it. It's itself. Not... <laughs> we've got, we've got to too many fair, ferrets. In McDonald's, nobody's really ever asked about where the chicken came from. From a long time, it wasn't chickens. Time to call in Ronald. I've got an no, idea. He's gone. They got rid of Ronald McDonald. Gone completely. He's oh, erased. Yep. It's gone. They've erased. It's been erased. You, if you go to any McDonald's, it's been erased out of McDonald's history. What about it's the gone. Hamburglar? Gone. Oh, no. Not the Hamburglar. <laughs> gone. When was the last time you went into McDonald's? <laughs> It's less like getting into a war with McDonald's. You know, they're, they're mascots. They're lifetime mascots. Uh, who they want to be? They're just not for us. Yeah, let's be. Let's be. Let's be very careful what we're saying here. <laughs> yeah, multi, just you know, I'm just saying, multi-million pound corporation. Oh, brilliant! I'm loving it. <laughs> Number seventy. Don't come to stay by Hot House, or don't come to stay. Nineteen eighty-eight. Sorry, by Hot House. Um, Heather Smalls sings this. Yeah. Very is young, a, is this a band she was in before M People, I'm guessing? But I don't understand why it's called Hot House. It's not really a house track, and it's not like Hot House Flowers. And it's, it's, I, I don't really get it, to be honest. Because, you know, Gary, it's just a house that was hot. <laughs> You're looking for meaning where there is none. I actually no. had no... I'd never heard this before, and I swear to God, dull. listen to this, I, I fell into a coma. Yeah. I've only just come out of it. It was so boring. Yeah, it's yeah. Best. No mistake in her voice, though, is there? And by the way, if you piss her off, she can emit a whistle through that gap in her teeth so loud it can set cats on fire. <laughs> She can. Just a word of warning there. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, don't mess with uh, Heather Smalls or Heather's no. Smalls. No, don't touch or do anything with her or you're going to have fiery cats. <laughs> Number 72, don't talk dirty to me. Uh, this was the uh, don't the don't period. I know it's the slow to don'ts. You had don't worry, be happy. Don't come to stay. Don't talk dirty to me by Jermaine Stewart. There's a lot of don'ts there. There, there are a lot of don'ts. There are a lot There's of don'ts. a lot of negation. Um, but I've noticed don't talk dirty to me. I won't. I, it's all right, Jermaine. I won't. I'm not going to talk right. dirty to you. It didn't didn't even occur to me. Um, but but his previous other song was called "We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off," and now he's saying "Don't talk dirty to me." <laughs> I don't think he wants to get have any kind of physical relationship with anybody here. It's, no. it's you know it's no. lights off, missionary position with his socks on. That's it. That's all he does. Don't talk dirty to me, and yet just be. I'm a nice person, so you know. Yeah, that's what his songs are all based for, around. Let's that, go, yeah. hey, let's go. Was he American? I can't. I don't let's know. go for a McFerrin. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's go for meal. Let's mm. go out. The McFer- What's in it? Ferret. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about being happy now. Absolutely. And I, sh- and I shouldn't be. <laughs> it shouldn't. Uh, continuing our don't series, in yet number 87 was I Don't Want You To Go by the Dogs de Moor. Horrible. <sighs> I don't like Dogs de Moor. Never did. Horrible. Not Never a did. fan. No. 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 Always saw their stuff at record fairs. Yeah, the music has been described as a mixture of the Rolling Stones, the Faces, and glam punk. Not by me, Anne. By who? No, by anyone. <laughs> I don't know. Or was that but... Pam Glunk? That's the woman that wrote that. It's a woman called Pam Glunk. <laughs> and the Paces. Uh, <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Uh, number no. 95 is Age of Reason by John Farnham. Um, oh, Mr. Yoda Post- Voice. Post a picture there. That new Mad Max film looks rubbish. Um, <laughs> the video wasn't great, was it? it that bit, the song you, wasn't did great. Did you watch it when he's no. just he's just up on the top of that mountain? <laughs> it just made me laugh for ages. Look where I've climbed. Well done, John. I piss off. There's no justification for having a mullet that provocative and a massive <laughs> jumper, that oversized jumper in that video. Yeah. Sorry. The only place you can see oversized jumpers of that magnitude are in the Matrix movies. I think he that one yeah, grew in pop videos around about that time. Oh, didn't he just? Here. Yeah. He yeah. looks very un- he looks a bit moody in that, really. He does, yeah. I don't really see the point of it, to be honest. And then I looked at his discography on Wiki, and he, you keep mentioning how many albums that people have done, and he's just done bloody millions. It's like, he can't be stopped. He can't be stopped, no. He's the voice. Remember, he's, the, he's voice. the voice. So, you know, and also he's got John Rambo on guitar, so he'll always be the voice. So there you go. Yes, he has. Oh, well, good luck. Um, in at number 98 <laughs> is Knocked Out by Paula Abdul. Um, the Janet Jackson vibe is strong here. The Jam and Lewis, was it? Some... Very, yeah, totally. Very stabby so. synth. Yeah. In that intro to the version. All that kind of stabby synth stuff and going on. It sounded exactly like you'd expect a Paula Abdul tractor. Yeah. Sound. Well, she's a much better dancer than she was a singer, Paula. She, she was. This is very good choreography. This is not the worst yeah. Janet Jackson knockoff we will see this week, though. I will say that. No, true. Uh, and if you want to see some Paula Abdul um, choreography in action, watch The Running Man because all the dancers in that were choreographed by Paula Abdul. She did, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or watch that. Or did, or, you know, watch that song she did with the cat. Oh god, it's so yeah. bad. What is that called? It's um, so bad. It's, what is it called? I don't know. Two steps forward and two opposites attract. Yeah, opposites attract. Because I like the first song. What was the first song that she did that was a big hit? Um, opposites don't attract. <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> magnetic North and Magnetic South <laughs> never go together. We're glued together. We can't escape. <laughs> magnetic North and Magnetic South. <laughs> Too much glue. You, she ended up going on X. Well, not the American Idol thing. Was it American Idol? <laughs> yeah, she was one of the judges. Yeah, she was so irritating. Absolutely. Yeah, funny that. So irritating. Yeah. That yeah. creepy little smile of her. Her career ended with the song I Love Your Bull Nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paula. <laughs> Thank you, golf clap for Paula after. <laughs> bull nostrils aside. Lovely, lovely, lovely girl. All such lovely girls. <laughs> lovely. Straight up, lovely. Ego. lovely. Straight up, Straight don't up tell yeah. me. That's a good Straight track, that is. It is very good. Was I caught in a hit and run? Was I just having fun? Oh, baby. Actually, it was quite good, that one. Yeah, but the rest of it was awesome. Never sing that again. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, the fridge in the garden outside that's underground started to open. That's it. I'm sending you a McFerrin right now to calm yourself down. <laughs> uh, and at 25th of September, in at number three is Desire I, 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 uh, by U2. 
I hate this track. I yeah, hate this track. They're starting to despair them. their own ass at this point with this video. I thought this video was so, so wanky. It was yeah. quite wanky, but it was shot really well. It was, They've it got a lot of money. They've hired a good cinematographer, yeah, it but, it's, really but it's them being wanky and I can't be shot, doing with it. And it was a bit wanky. Was it shot by the same cinematographer that did Rattle and Hum? Probably, probably. It, it obviously is from that period. Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite mm. an influential video and it, it is a bit <laughs> indulgent. And the song is... A bit indulgent? Uh, yeah, well, a lot, bit a lot indulgent. Yeah, Did you get your money back? Utterly indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get your money back, Graham? I've noticed. Did you? Did he? No. Yeah, he, owes me, he still owes me fifty quid. Um, and I'm never going to get that back off him. He's a tight-fisted bastard. He is. He really is. Yeah. So he he came at me with a cup when I was coming out of King's Cross Station and just said, "Can you spare fifty quid, me brother?" God, Jesus. So <laughs> I don't know why I put on the accent, I'm, I'm but putting it, moratorium I felt sorry on the Irish him. accents in this episode now. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I, unless I do one, then it's all right. But <laughs> I don't know where in the world these accents are coming from. Well, I don't know where he came from or why he did the accent. He just, he was playing a part. He said, you know, he might not have been Bono. He said he was. I just took him his word. It was, it no, was no, no, no. It was Rono. Rono. It was Rono, the well-known King's Cross Irish man. Irish tramp, yeah. Who impersonates Bono at any opportunity. Rono. Rono McDonald. <laughs> Yeah, Ronald McDonald. Yeah, he was there with Bobby. No, McFerrin. no, no, not Ronald McDonald. That would be copyright infringement. It's Rono McDonald. Yeah. Rono, yes, Rono, Rono McFerrin. Rono <laughs> with his with his patented burger. Don't worry, be happy burger. Would you like a bite of me burger? Ian <laughs> Paisley. Ian Paisley. <laughs> That's why I imagine that that? someone so, someone, someone outside Kings Cross sta- sta- Station called Rono McFerrin is not going to have a lovely lilting Irish voice, are they? <laughs> That's where if they're trying to sell you burgers, you know they're going to be a he bit. He wasn't trying to sell burgers. He was he was trying to bar- beg fifty quid off me, and it was it was Rono. <laughs> Good old Rono. Now I realise it was Rono, not Bono. I feel stupid now. Absolutely. All those phone calls you've made to him, all that pestering of the record label. Oh God, no, no wonder he sent me that. It's no wonder he sent me that letter saying, stop writing to me. I don't know who you are. Cease and Makes sense now. I've never borrowed a 50 quid off you. Well, that selfie I've got with him, it's all for nothing now. (laughs) Bloody hell. Uh, In at number 19 is A Little Respect by Erasure. Here we go. This has got a bit better now. It really has. Yeah. The best the track best they ever did, isn't it? Yeah. Easily. Easily the best Indeed. one they did. Indeed. Yeah. And Covered a, by quite a lot of people as a well. A severe lack of uh, Andy Bell Bend, though, in the video, I have to say. Yes, he's no longer doing that. No, there's not that Andy Bell Bend, which, uh, which you know, saddens me a little bit, but, you know, great song. Great, great it's, song. So is it Weezer that have done a cover? There's a few bands that have done a cover of this song. I think loads of people have, haven't there? It's a, good, it's a good track, that. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's the best one. It's... Is it Vince Clark's best post Depeche Mode song? One of them. Yeah, I think so. One of them. Um, Number 20, I Don't Want Your Love, carrying on in the don't tradition. That's the seventh this week um, by Duran Duran. This is bad. This was really bad. Everything they did was bad around this time. They did nothing (laughs) good. They forgot to include the tune. Mm. Oh, really bad. Um, Number 34, We Papa Girl Rappers with We Rule. See, mm-hmm. I remember the We Papa Kill rappers, and there, there was a bit of a push in the mid to late 80s of, of UK female hip hop artists. Uh, Cookie Crew, uh, God, what was the other name? The she Nana Cherry. Yeah, Nana Cherry. And you know, we've got here Sandra and Samantha Lawrence, her sisters, and they did quite a few songs. We Will, Heat It Up, uh, and a really good song called Faith, which obviously built from uh, uh, George Michael. Um, yeah, it's not going to change your life, is it? But, you know. It's an okay tune, 
good look to them, yeah. I don't mind this we one. Roll, da, 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 da. Yeah. Mm. yeah, if you can put it, I bet for people of our age, you put it on, you'd, you'd have heard it in the. Yeah, definitely. On telly and on top of the pop. So good luck to them. Mm. I hope they've done well. Good luck. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Number 37 is uh, Secret Garden by Tapao. Um, I I really like this song. <laughs> I, I completely forgot no. about this one. I was like, oh, actually, I don't mind this. No. No. Still burn. only two good songs. <laughs> yeah. Burn the heretic. Burn uh, it. I'm happy to be burned. It's okay. Um, I'm happy to be burned for liking the power. Why did you watch the video? The video is so, uh, so in the maze. Yeah, it's very much so. It looks like they've just gone to a warehouse full of like. It reminded me, it was another video. song, and we said it earlier on, but it's another song that I think <laughs> reminded me of Roxette for some reason. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a lot of that around this time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Number 42 is Why Are You Being So Reasonable Now by The Wedding Present. I mm. knew they'd be John Peel favourites. I knew they would be. They, they had to be. Massive John Peel. Thing. They were, and I didn't really like them when I listened to John Peel in the 80s. I kind of got into them in the in mid-90s. And yeah, it, it, they're still going, they're still going, they're still touring. Everybody, you know, the distinctive thing about The Wedding Present is Dave Gedge's voice. Very much so, yeah. They did that period where they did a... In one year, they released a single every month, didn't every they? Every month, every for month, for 12, yeah. twelve months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was about ninety. Was that ninety-five? I seem to remember that being ninety-five and ninety-four. So something around that. Time. Did, did anyone did, give that as a wedding present? Well, very. They might have given a. I don't know. Brassneck is the only one I really liked to buy them. Um, don't like. Don't rate them. I have to say, I like the album Watuzi, but you know, this, this, they just they all stuff. every song sounds the same. It really does. Never liked the wedding present, and I never will. I've never forgiven them for the death of Kirk's boy. <laughs> <laughs> 12 in one year you're out of your mind <laughs> oh right okay mcferrin's down there and with ronno <laughs> with ronno good old ronno <laughs> um, in at number 46 is new anger by gary oh, newman god. god that video oh, lord <laughs> it's an uncomfortable watch on every level <laughs> just everything uh, is everything about it was shit everything it wasn't it was, good i felt embarrassed watching it i felt embarrassed that he was channeling robert palmer badly it did sound like robert palmer it did really sound like robert really? palmer and you know what i looked for the youtube comments and uh, they were saying the same thing this whole thing that it sounded like robert palmer it does it does though there's no escaping it it's like robert palmer's there somehow forcing his way in like he's taking over the minds of everyone with his, you know, his, his crazy powers. Yeah. Don't like it. It's, Don't like it. But it, that video was utterly dreadful. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, Frightful. <laughs> Shite. In at number 15, Never Trust a Stranger. Um, good advice there from Kim Wilde. She's extremely hot in that video. It's like ridiculous. I don't really know what the, to say about Gary's bull nostrils were literally <laughs> peaking at this point. I honestly didn't know where He was to stamping look. the ground and ready to charge at something it red. Was. He was. He popped his ring. It all gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I like him. The kid wild in the in the eighties. Yeah, this is a good song. I mean, if that didn't get him going, then number fifty-one, "All of Me" by Sabrina, we just we yep. just finish him off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I was very tired after these two. <laughs> Catch your oh, republic. God. But it, this was. The, I didn't realize when I looked until I looked it up today that this was actually a Stock Aitken Wartman production. She'd left her Italian. Oh, I didn't know that. Team. Didn't sound like and so. It, yeah, they'd basically taken the, everything that made her like the bass lines, which was the yeah. Italian production, and it was a Stock Aitken and Warman production. She followed the money, like they all do, and it's it's not terrible. 
No, but in all fairness, that baseline is basically boys, boys, boys. I mean, it's the same baseline or whatever. You know, PWL tour, whatever they were called, which is pumping these things out like no one's business. I mean, it's crazy now. The the machine is in full pump. (laughs) What are we referring to here now? (laughs) Well, you you and Saw. No, your hand is Saw, and no doubt, and you've you've obviously worn the pattern off it again. Absolutely, this man has this man has no fingerprints. He's got. <laughs> he's, he's worn them off. <laughs> he's a serial killer. He must be. No one else would have no fingerprints. He's trying to hide something. <laughs> he can't grip hold of anything. He's got no grip. <laughs> he's got. He's no patterning whatsoever. He's like a newborn baby with no grip. <laughs> he's smooth like an android, only more milky. <laughs> and his forearms look like a bull's leg. What's going on? <laughs> Number fifty-four. <laughs> uh, number fifty-four is the um, <laughs> is Lord Humongous's uh, uh, favorite track, "Don't Walk Away" by uh, Pat Benatar. I'd love to hear Lord Humongous cover version of that song. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> Don't walk away. It would have been more interesting than the actual song because it was so boring. <laughs> Benatar, Plan, boring. Benatar. Also, crap, it's the eighth it, eighth Don't track. Don't. It is. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't listen to it. Yeah, don't listen I, to it. I mean, I've said that I, I quite like some Pat Benatar stuff over the last few weeks, but I, oh, I yeah. thought this was not very good. I didn't, I didn't so particularly boring. like this. It's, nope. it's okay, but it's meh. Yeah. Uh, number 65 is Baby Baby uh, by Eighth Wonder. Stabby. Very stabby. Yes, and it's a good thing that she looks reasonably good in that because she sings terribly. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. Out. She's out of tune in that. I mean, she's blatantly out of tune. I, I looked up her uh, wiki. Careful, <laughs> careful, realized... careful, Gary. <laughs> when I went to see her live, I looked up. <laughs> I realised that she just basically she just hunts down rock stars to make them her husband. Like I didn't realise there was a guy from the big audio. Yeah, like, like a predator. She, she shoots yeah. them. Yeah, she shoots yeah. them with a blow dart, and they wake up. It's they're married. Just... It's a, literally. You know. Do you even had a thing with Ali McCoist, the Scottish footballer? I mean, obviously he's not a rock musician, but then I think she went back to another rock musician. Ali McCoist always sounds like the way you describe a Scottish cake. <laughs> Ali McCoist. What's it like? The cake? Oh, it's Ali McCoist. It's Ali McCoist. <laughs> the sponge was Ali McCoist. <laughs> <laughs> are you scottish no no I'm no not. no no you just told us you were didn't you yeah oh. anyway the, the, the track was crap it was crap I mean, I yeah said it this was before actually they did one good song which was i'm, I'm not scared yeah yeah which is a pet shop boys produced track and the rest of it was just absolute yeah 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 uh number 82 is one good woman by peter satira one for gary this <laughs> I, it was so boring again I just, yeah and peter satira just has this look of a I, I his face is weird like, his face is look it quite, looks the the, the contours yeah. of it are wrong it's like yeah. it's like somebody smoothed him wrong in 3ds max i can only assume yeah. that you know the, the modeling software went badly wrong um because his face didn't look right the way he sings he's like juts out his lower lower mandible like he's got to chew the microphone to bits it's really yeah, weird it's not good and um, he sings in the key of satira, so the key only he can sing in, which makes uh, middle-aged women weep instantly. <laughs> we're from, we're, we're and, not, from. and not always from their eyes, yeah. Not always from their eyes. No, no. And it makes middle-aged men weep instantly and not always from their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, to round out the, the month, number 90, You're Gonna Get Rocked by Latoya Jackson. Jackson? Mm. Jackson. Latoya Jackson. Jackson. Uh, this is really cringy. Crap. Really, that opening sequence where she's talking, Awful. I was 
I was actually, you know, you know when you like you're watching something so bad, you you scrunching your hands yeah. together, you're digging your nails into your palms. That's what I was doing. It was awful, and it sounds like ZT as Janet Jackson. It's awful. Yep, not wrong Awful. There. I don't know if it was just the crap processing on the YouTube video, but she looked like a zombified Diana Ross. <laughs> she did. She did look it's a really like good an, description. She did look like an extra from Thriller. Weird. Maybe she, she probably was in Thriller. Well, she was hidden in the back. Maybe maybe all the extras in Thriller were his family. Well, the thing is, I know they were all Jacksons at the end of the day, and I get it, but she does look she kind well. of like Michael Jackson dressed as a woman. Yeah, well, there was, that was the big big rumour back then, wasn't it, that you never saw him in the same room twice? Well, you can sort of say, see it, because she looks and dances exactly like him. Yeah, it's very... Um, it's and very it's a odd. really bad song, though. But who bought this? I mean, who's the, who went into W.H. Smith? Well, oh, not many Andy people. Jackson it only got to number 90, or it started at number 90. Have you got that great track by Latoya Jackson? Just check on your uh, check on your shelves behind you, Gary. I think you'll find you've got her album there. All <laughs> yeah. seven of them. <laughs> I didn't want to say. Signed and catalogued. And to be fair, Zombie Down Ross would be a great album title for her as well. So I could go with that. It would be. Yeah. And there we go. That's it. That's your singles for this uh, That's week. It. That's not a great bunch, but you know. No. I, 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 I'm looking back, I think 1988 was one of my favourite years for music. That's quite the statement after me going, not cutting out a good lot there. Nice segue, Gary. Those jungles are terrible. 1988 was the well best done. music ever. <laughs> but it was, for me, it's, it's, it's as much as about reminiscing and kind of, you know, that emotional resonance that comes from listening to music in 88. You know, it's like getting into yeah. house music. You've been listening to Pieces to Tear again, haven't you? I don't want to think um, about you your know, emotional I, resonance. Makes me feel I, ill. I, no. I love 1988, 89, you know. Yeah, clearly. But there is a lot of crap, don't get me wrong. There is a lot, a lot of crap. A lot of crap. The Striper, like you, one thing. Striper, striper yeah. but, you know, you've bull nostrilled your way through most of it and then you've got piece of satire at the end to make you weep. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I didn't, yeah, yeah. It didn't really peak. It would have been better to maybe have Domino dance. It would be described as a tantric music year for you, Gary. A lot of arduous strain <laughs> towards the middle and then a release at the end. Yeah, full went, release. He went full sting. It's a, lie down. <laughs> so a full release of all the, all the internal liquids at the end. <laughs> Unfortunately, they were all brown sauce. Yes, exactly. Could have been in there that long. <laughs> I feel quite ill. <laughs> There's many things in this world that make me feel unwell. That's, that's probably the worst. And uh, Gary ejaculated brown sauce is going to be. You had to say it. You didn't need to top say of that it. Tray. You, you could have left Someone it. Someone had to say you, it. You could have just left it as, you know, you can't as leave that to anyone's imagination. It has to be out said and then buried. I'm just how God made me, sir. We know. That's we the know. Problem. Exactly. Which God is what we ask? Which one? <laughs> the ancient God of brown sauce. Brown sauce, yeah. Oh, yes. brown sauce. Oh, brown sauce. Oh, brown sauce. Oh. HP be done. Just to refute the, the accusation that I don't have brown sauce in every single sandwich, but most sandwiches, yeah. Sometimes it's pickled. Sometimes it's You have mayo, brown but... sauce in more sandwiches than you have bread in. You put bother with the bread anymore. I know, it's just a brown sauce sandwich. Eliza was almost puking, that's my partner, that when I had a, a sandwich of um, crab sticks, prawns, and brown sauce, and oh, it was Lord. absolutely delicious. Absolutely, on white bread, it was absolutely delicious. Goodness me. You can take the boy out of Grimsby. Goodness me. The sauce was white when he started making it. It just goes brown towards yeah, the end. Well, he just he leaves it there for like four weeks. It just Crab uh, sticks. Turns they're, not even crab made of, they're not even made of crab. Turns brown no, with age. Just, is, is it fish, though? Is it, no, fish I don't, don't... I, it, it is. It's shoe me, isn't it? 
it's, it's not good. It's, it's hermit a bit, crab. Bit of brown sauce on it. It's, bit of brown it's something sauce else that's gone to live in Listen, you put a bit of brown sauce on bottle. anything, it makes it better. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I feel... It's a feel for Gary's kids when they come in, they've hurt their knee. Come here, just put some brown sauce on that graze. <laughs> ah, it's way worse. It's really stingy. <laughs> Shush, it's not medicinal in the slightest. Shush, Here it enjoy is. Enjoy your McFerrin. Exactly. <laughs> when I was a kid and I ate myself, my mum put brown sauce in all my injuries. <laughs> yeah, it's always a pleasure to be berated and coming on. <laughs> Good. It makes my so, life so Good. Worthwhile. That's exactly why we invite you. <laughs> and that's exactly why the people ask for you to back on. Exactly. And that's what I think of you, Harvey. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, okay. I think we should, we're going to end the single set. Gary, thank you. You got anything you want to say before we you know, no. kick you off? I'm thankful for being here every day. Thank you for inviting me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we'll have sure. you back at some point again. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Right, so that's it. We're going to go. Uh, we'll be back in a bit. Um, Gary's going to go and uh, do something. I don't know what. Um, and we'll be back in a bit with uh, some more games. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we are back. That was the singles. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Wilson, for, for joining us. That was uh, a whole lot of fun. Um, we've got four more games um, before we finish off this episode, so let's waste no time. Let's get straight into them. Uh, and, Graham, this is another one for you. Uh, this is Netherworld. Tell us all about it, or don't. Scored pretty highly, this, it didn't did. it? 87%. It did. From Houston, this. Design was by Juka Tapanamaki. Um, producer is Paul Chamberlain, coded by Mark Bake, Mark Barker. Sorry, Mark Barker. He knew how to fight. <laughs> my, 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 Mark. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> had to do that. Um, t- title screen was Darren Stubbington, um, and the musician here is Jory Olkinen. Very unusual soundtrack for this. I'll come across. I'll come to all of that. Um, mm. Now there is a story here, a very long-winded story for this. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I am going to, for simplicity's sake and for time, I'll pressy the main bulk of that story. And then I'll sort of go into the sort of game part. Um, an explorer called Hugo Thomas and his team were in Peru investigating the whereabouts of something called the Dragon Temple. Along with a truckload of gold and diamonds, the mysterious Incan Temple was also thought to hold magic powers, once attributed to the priesthood of the sun. And specifically, all powerful ceremonial precious objects that had been offered to the gods had been hidden away in there. So, cut to finding the temple, entering the sacred chamber, and confronting some kind of Incan dragon god, who seems unimpressed with you, Hugo's quest for diamonds and wealth. 
on account of their magic objects and godly power being not to be trifled with or not to be messed with. The dragon statue uh, thing, whatever you call it, I guess the dragon, the god, whatever it is, uh, challenges you to find 27 diamonds in the maze-like realm of Netherworld, where all the gods now reside. For this challenge, you will be transformed into a cross, a symbol of the crucifix <laughs> held by and representing the failure of the Spanish conquistadors. And this will be encased in a wheel representing your imprisonment. So that wow. explains your main sprite. In case, you wondered, what, in okay. case you wondered why you were a cross in a circle, that's why you are. <laughs> well, it all becomes clear. All Very becomes clear. clear. All clear. Um, they give you the power to shoot from the forearms of the cross, and you're told that you must find all the diamonds you can, as that will eventually allow you to escape from both the Neverworld and your tomb. Tomb, tomb. That's right. While you were talking to the dragon... Uh, God thing, the entrance to the tomb collapsed and all of your explorer team buggered off and left you buried alive. Oh, so nice. now you're stuck and you've got to get out in the netherworld, haven't you? Hey? Hey? <laughs> hey? 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 So there's there's an entire sort of 70 page, not 70 page, I'm exaggerating, but there's an entire story with you know talky bits and go and read that if you're really into that kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to skip to the part of the instructions called Surviving in the Netherworld. Um, and it says, and I quote, There is always a lot going on in the Netherworld, and there are, great me- there are a great many opportunities for bonus points and extra diamonds. There are equally as many opportunities for penalties and damage. The most common things in the Netherworld are bricks, which form walls and barriers to your progress. Some of these bricks, however, are actually secret doors and are distinguished from bricks by sli- slightly different graphics. Okay. Slightly Two of the greatest dangers in the netherworld are demons and the alien generators. Demons spit out deadly acid bubbles at you, and alien generators produce a variety of enemies seeking to harm you. One of the best ways to block an alien generator is with movable rocks, which can be found throughout the netherworld. By placing the movable rock near the alien generator, it becomes unable to produce aliens. Another danger to be wary of is the goat's head, which spits acid blood that is deadly to touch. Mm. The netherworld is also populated by a number of free-floating souls, which are very dangerous if touched. Some of these souls follow the parameter of any object in a clockwise motion, some more vertically and are deadly to touch, and some, also known as bounders, fly in a straight line until colliding with a solid object, when they do, which, uh, when they will then change their direction 90 degrees counterclockwise. If a soul comes into contact with a metamorphosis wall, the wall will change into four diamonds. Are you following me so far? I hope you uh, are. I, uh, yeah, okay. Another way of producing diamonds is through the use of diamond squeezers. If a moving rock is pushed into a... Pushed into a... If a moving rock is... Right, with diamond squeezer, squeezers. Right. <laughs> kick, kick him in his diamond squeezer. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. Squeezed another one out. <laughs> if a moving rock is pushed into a diamond squeezer, the rock will turn into a diamond. <laughs> Got to be sore. Those jagged edges. Absolutely. Oh, 40 carats. Oh, oh diamond squeezer. <laughs> We've, we've had this a lot haven't we, with these with these games recently. We had it with with Chucky Egg, didn't we? The, yeah. What was it? The rusty bloody Gre- whatever grease, it was. Greasing the, grease the rusty minecart. Greasing the rusty minecart. Now we've got you know sticking stuff up me diamond squeezer. <laughs> oh, sounds horrible. This um, is where my mind goes. So thought transporters, Adrian, are circular teleportation devices that enable you to travel to different parts of the netherworld. Uh-huh. Simply move your icon on top of it and press the fire button and you will be teleported. After shooting the aliens, some of them leave behind glowing icons. These icons can grant you more points, even extra speed. But if more than three extra speed icons are used, you will actually slow down. Oh. Following so far? <laughs> I never studied. Never studied. <laughs> Another unique icon is the demon killer, which looks like a skull and crossbones. This one will enable you to kill a demon by touching it. A brick smasher icon, which looks like a small brick. Stupid. 
<laughs> Stupid. <laughs> honestly, even I'm getting fed up of it. It allows you to break up a brick. This is about, this is honest to God, this is the sentence. It says, and I quote, this one will enable you to kill a demon by touching it. And after it says, a brick smasher icon, which looks like a small brick, allows you to break up a brick. There is also a surprise icon, which looks like a collection of question marks. The surprise icon can grant you one of your four phenomena, which is an extra life, invulnerability, an uncontrollable ship, or reverse controls. The surprise icon should be avoided by those unwilling to gamble. Right. That's okay. enough now. That's enough. That's enough. Um, so if that lot hasn't tweaked your, you know, your diamond squeezer <laughs> and got you, uh, you know, thoroughly wondering what on earth's going on. There's another it's, rock. This is essentially a maze type shoot 'em up game. I mean, all uh-huh. of that fancy pants stuff aside, it's an, it is an unusual twist on of the shooting genre. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it, it play it's playing with the notions of what a shoot 'em up and what those kind of games are. It feels a little bit like what Wizball did to shooters in that way. I've got that as well. Yeah, I mentioned Wizball. So, and I think it's because it's got bubbles. It's because it's got weird background graphics that sort of it feels a bit Wizbally, and it's because it's playing with the genre in that way. Okay, there's quite nice. Odd shaded graphics here, a bit like there was in Wizball, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of oddness to it. Um, they kind of looked apart, and there's really nice fluid eight-way scrolling, which sees you shoot around um, in your little joystick-controlled cross in a circle. Remember what it represents, remember? <laughs> Four points of the crew. Yes, it's the antithesis of the Span- Spanish conquistadors' <laughs> devotion to religion, re- and represented in you represented in prison in a circle, remember? Just remember that. And you're on, and essentially in this game, you're on a quest for diamonds and exits. Now, in a weird way, it's it's nice to it's a nice mixture of kind of exploration. If you take all of that stupid guff aside, and it takes a while to get used to the what's happening in the game in this because there's a lot going on, and a lot of it doesn't make immediate sense. It's actually quite hard game to read and follow. Yeah, but you because uh-huh. if you someone described Wizball to you, you would get the same feeling from it. Someone just to, you know took if take away what you know about Wizball. And if someone described the game by terms of its mechanics and what you needed to do, you'd be like, what? It sounds crazy. That would never work. And yet it kind of does. Yeah, yeah. So this is a nice mixture of exploration, shooting, collecting. If Gauntlet and Delta had a baby, it might look a bit like Netherworld <laughs> in a weird way. And then maybe if, you know, Wizball was involved, maybe some kind of threesome. I don't know. <laughs> diamond squeezers might be very well involved somewhere along the line with that. I don't know. You're going to need a diamond squeezer to fit those three in into one thing. I don't know. It just felt like there's a little, there's little bits of other games all bolted in here. And, and Wizball was the same. Wizball was a shoot 'em up combined with a color collecting combined with this. Yeah. This is kind of similar. It's a shoot 'em up combined with collecting diamonds. There's a little bit of almost Boulder Dash type logic about the diamonds. And then you've also got maze chase games. There's a little bit of. Um, uh, Hunter's Moon in there, games like that, in that kind of way you can move around the screen. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's just little bits of game ideas that have kind of bolted together. Now, it's always a gamble when they do this in games. It either works or it falls flat on its face. They've just about got away with it here. Um, so I, I quite like the ideas. It's interesting. I quite like the way the upgrades work. I don't like games with downgrades. Downgrades should be removed from all games. I think it's stupid to put them in, so I don't like that. But mm-hmm. I like the way that the game that works out. There's nice little bits and secret bits to sort of find and discover in this. So there's a little bit of discovery and sort of navigating your way around and, and stuff like that. It's quite hard to play. It's hard, but there's there's quite a lot going on. And in the same way with, with Wizball, if you persevere past the beginning of Wizball and that part where you've got that awkward control system and you get to where you can control it better, the game starts to lift and you start to feel it. So as you get more into this game and as you get more diamonds and get to the, some of the other levels, it starts to feel more cohesive. And by that point, you'll have forgotten about all the nonsense about Incan, temple gods, dragons, and and all that, you know, Spanish conquistadors on quest for diamonds and gold and all that. You'd have forgotten all that. <laughs> um, 
so the code set behind this, the code is really, really tight. It's really well put together, this game. Um, there's some really interesting audio as well. Um, lots of guitar samples and heavy metal type soundtrack to this, which is, de- yeah. I never expected it at all. It's all, but it gave it, yeah. it gave it an interesting tonality, it gave it a sort of a, an almost an industrial-esque type of tonality, which I thought was quite interesting. In the same way that Galway's soundtrack lit Whizball in a, and made it feel like a very different kind of experience because of its ethereal guitar sounding Van Halen-y inspired sort of audio track. This gives it a much more heavy, thumpy, it doesn't shout Inca gods, I have to say, but it is quite interesting all the same. Mm -hmm. This does have quite high production values and it is quite a tough game, but the graphics and sound are all kind of working coherently together in that kind of crazy logic that we've seen in other games. The main window of the game is the upper four fifths, I would say, with the UI at the bottom that gives information like the number of demon killers you've got or brick smashers. Don't, I, I don't know why they named them those things. I guess they are what they are. They do what they say in the tin, I suppose. Um, yeah, Ron Seal Ron power-ups. Ron Seal, Ron Seal power-ups. Get your brick smashers and your demon killers. <laughs> What's on the tin? Demon killer. Oh, I'll kill demons. <laughs> um, you've got um, your score on there, your current level, your shield energy, time remaining to complete level. Because remember, you've got to get through these levels in a certain time and find mm-hmm. the diamonds in a time. That is quite tricky to do. Mm-hmm. And you've got, an, and it tells you your number of lives left. I think you've got five lives, I think. I seem to remember. I mm, think so, maybe. Five or, th- anyway, it doesn't matter. You've got a number of lives. And um, with a full shield, you can take about 12 hits before you'll lose your life. So that's quite nice. So you don't die just by bumping into things in this game. You will eventually, but you've got a little bit of uh, leeway. And so you've got a shield, which can sort of keep you alive a little bit. So that's quite nice. And um, you don't die on contact with things either. So it, it's, it does have that affordance. So you, you're not just, because if you didn't have that in this game, you'd be dead in seconds. And there's a few games we've seen that have had that where you've, Touch, touch the edge of the maze and you're dead kind of thing. Yep. Um, some of the hidden bonus parts are quite interesting. The secret diamond changes and all that sort of thing awaits you in those. They do move at a good pace. There's a lot to like in this. It's very slick. It's quite well thought out. It's quite nicely designed. It's just, it is very erratic. Lots of erratic design components that shouldn't on paper kind of work. But I don't know if, if it's my persistence with just sort of pushing that to one side a bit and just trying to get on with the core gameplay and the game gradually revealing itself to me as I did that, instead of me trying to figure out how to escape from some Incan tomb, which seemed absolutely no relevance to the four-way shoot 'em up that I was experiencing on the screen. Um, so once it sort of, I let it reveal itself to me, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. So I thought this was pretty good all said and done. Um, it was, uh, by the way, I had never, ever heard or played of it before ever. And yet it's considered a Houston classic. It completely bypassed me mm. everywhere. A bit like you said with Salamander. I had never come across Netherworld in all the time. So complete fresh play for me. Now, um, that's what I thought of it. Now, we say we play these games so, you know, the, the people who listen to this podcast don't have to. That is unless they want to. And in this instance, I'm going to turn to the almighty, all-powerful Andrew Fisher because he's got some interesting footnotes and some interesting little bits that he wants to say about this. So I'm going to lend his delicious brain to these proceedings and, <laughs> and let it ooze from his um, diamond squeezer. And let's have a listen to see what he says. <laughs> Neverworld is a stylish game and a tribute to its creator, the late Yuka Tapinamaki. The Finnish coder sadly died too young in 2000, leaving a short career of C64 titles. We should mention Octopolis from English Software, mixing a shoot-em-up similar to fellow Finn Stavros Vasoulis' Sanxion with a clever platform game with excellent overlaid sprites. Then there was budget hit Zamzarar and the epic Elite Stroke mercenary-style Moonfall. This was sadly delayed by Houston's bankruptcy and rebirth as 21st century entertainment. Anyway, Neverworld starts up with an excellent Sid tune created by Yuri Olkonen with a great sampled guitar sound. 
Starting the game reveals a series of worlds populated by demons and the player's rotating wheel-shaped ship. The aim is to collect all the diamonds on each of the 12 levels before time runs out. The demons will spit out other small enemies, which can be shot to reveal power-ups. The question marks can be helpful or harmful. The brick smasher lets you break through walls, and the skull is a demon killer, which means you can kill a demon on contact. If you collect all the diamonds, you move on to the bonus section. Here you must push boulders to divert the course of the tracker mine that runs around the walls so that it hits the target zone and unlocks the next level. Neverworld has some great background graphics with smooth scrolling. In game there are good sound effects. Controls take a little learning, especially when the question mark can freeze or reverse your controls for a short amount of time. Just a word of caution, using an infinite time cheat can get you stuck on the bonus level until you complete it. Zap's review in issue 41 gave the game 87%, just missing out on the coveted Sizzler. Gordon Houghton fully recommended you try it, and Paul Glancy said it would have you glued to your C64 for hours. I still own my original tape copy and love it. There you go. That was Andrew Fisher's amazing opinion. And in all fairness, he's still got an original copy, and that's pretty good going. I don't think I own anything original C64 related at all now, sadly. But that's what we think. You know, we're just two people in this world. What did you think? Um, yeah, I thought this isn't interesting. I thought it was interesting. It's frantic. It's very. It feels very frantic. Uh, multi-direction collect and blast them up. And as you noticed, it's I've written that it reminded me of Whizball in the way it controlled. Um, so there's, there's, there's definitely elements of Whizball in the controls to this. It's it's some you know it, it, it's if Whizball scrolled up and down through its levels rather than just left and yes. right. So it feels like that. I thought the visuals were really nice. Um, I thought they looked really cool. There's some the, the things that shoot at you, the diamond uh, and old sprites and everything. I particularly like the uh, symbol of the conquistadors with the uh, you know being trapped inside the thing. That was obviously clearly uh, the main sprite. You mean you didn't get that from that sprite? <laughs> no, it looked like um, the the mission. It looked like their logo, um, which is a it circle. did actually. Yeah, yeah, it looked very much like the mission logo. Which yeah, they or go. glaive, glaive from Krull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the visuals are nice, and, and and as is the sound, it's an unusual soundtrack to this, as you've noticed, and it's odd. So it does have a very different feel. It doesn't feel, didn't feel like a Houston game. I don't know, Houston games no, have a certain I agree. feel and a certain sound, um, yes. and I think that was because it was they were defined by Braybrook and Steve yes. Turner, who have since obviously yes. moved away, and now this is something different. So we've got things like. This um, had a thalamusy feel. I felt actually, if I was going to, yeah, put that. I, I would. I would put this in. Um, what's his face? Uh, Stavros Fasoulas. Yeah, Stavros Fasoulas. Yeah, I could see that being, you know, something along those lines. So it did feel. Like, it didn't feel like a Houston game, but you know, it is what it is. But then again, neither did Nebulous, I suppose. But yeah, you know. yeah, um, true. Although, although maybe Nebulous did. I don't know. Nebulous did, but this didn't. I don't know. Anyway, anyway um, I didn't get very far in this, though. I have to say, um, I just. I, I found the the controls just a touch too floaty. I found I was bouncing around quite a lot, and it yeah, takes a lot. lot and the, the the things that come in after you are sort of quite hard to try and shoot. Even though you shoot in four directions, um, I just felt myself bouncing around quite a lot. And like you said, you can take like twelve hits, but you can get quite easily go and you know, and you you're done for before you kind of know it. Um, but uh, you know, I'm actually willing to sort of concede that that's probably more me than the game. And I think you're right. I think if you take the time to acquaint yourself and acclimatize yourself to the controls in this game i think you could get on with this quite well i think there's some really clever touches to this i think it's well designed um and i think it looks nice and it sounds good and i think it probably deserves that score um so you know and i think there's plenty here to just try and score i think it's a decent game even if i was rubbish at it and i think that's more me and i just admit you know mm. so I'm, I'm not i think i could see beyond the fact that I, this wasn't this wasn't me this wasn't the game's fault that i was rubbish it was just that i was rubbish at it and that's 
fair enough. You can be rubbish at a game and still appreciate it. And I think that's one of these games. And again, like yourself, never heard of it, never saw it, never heard of it, never even heard the name. When we were coming across and we were listening to the games from Netherworld, what the hell's that? Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting game this. I might actually try and, if I get some time, which I probably won't, but I would like to try and sort of get a bit better at this and try and make my way through it. Um, mm. But um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it has a bit of a pull, so it's decent enough. Decent enough game. Yeah, that's it. There we go. That's Netherworld. Uh, long may this quality of games continue. Let's move on to our next one and see if it does. This one, Graham, takes us to the mm. beach in a simulator. Yes. For a buggy. This is Beach mm. Buggy Simulator, £1.99 from Silverbird. I'm going to leave the score as a bit of a surprise. We'll see what it gets. So it's another day, another Silverbird arcade knockoff. This is Beach Buggy Simulator. Well, let's face it, though, there's no real simulation going on here. Not that I could Not see. Really. Not really. What we have here is a knockoff Moon Patrol variant in Beach Buggy form. It's Moon Patrol. It's back in Beach Buggy form. <laughs> Who wanted that? <laughs> No um, one. No one. According to Lemon64, this was coded by Grant Harrison. He was the man who worked on Galavan, Knight Rider, A View to a Kill, and V. Yeah, and Super Bowl Twenty. And Super Bowl Twenty. yeah. Um, so I am expecting great things from this, clearly. According to the instructions, such as they are, you have just bought yourself a shiny new beach buggy and entered the Dune Trials. <laughs> that made me laugh because I was hoping, ah, oh, Chris Tadarak and all that sort of thing. I mean, the Dune Trials, you have to run away from a massive sandworm. But, uh, In this one, it'd be like the Quizad's Anorak, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, you get into the Dune Trials to show, show everyone how excellent your new beach buggy is. You must burn across the sand hills, jump over the rocks and fire, and if you have to, shoot out the helicopters, which I thought took... Made, made this take a quite a violent turn <laughs> out of it's nowhere. Unusual for just a <laughs> joyful beach buggy ride. Yeah, no, no, shoot the helicopters, get out of them. Um, if you beat the clock and qualify for the next harder round, there you go, that's it. So that's your quest, to be the best beach buggy person at the Dune Dryles. Uh, the game starts, and we've got some options for one or two players uh, and music or sound effects, um, and start the game. So once started, this is... This is where the problem. I would say this is where the problems start, but the problems start as soon as it loaded up because the music's awful. Um, um, so you know it's dreadful. The music is not good, not good at all. In fact, it's very Nine. annoying. As are most things about this game, as previously noted, it's a Moon Patrol knockoff. It's a Moon Patrol knockoff. So you control your beach buggy as you move from left to right using left and right and the joystick to speed up or slow down. You move over like an undulating sort of sand dune thing it's not really i don't know it's this landscape you know up makes you jump um and finally the fire button fires a bullet out of a beach buggy this is what beach buggy comes with bullet firing capabilities i don't know along the way the course meanders up and down and you must make sure to jump over the boulders of fire and avoid or shoot the oncoming helicopters there are trees and cacti but they're just scenery so it's okay to just drive past them should you hit anything rocks and fire um you will stop and catch fire for a bit before being allowed to move on again and that's it really same with the helicopters the information in the ui at the bottom tells you what round you're in the distance you have to travel to get to the end of the course how much fuel you have left um and the time left before it's game over uh so you've got fuel yet and you can also collect little purple pellets that kind of float around um they refill your fuel tank um so that's quite good so if you've run out of fuel or if you run out of time then it's game over for you. 
That's what happens. There are many annoying things about this game besides the music. The graphics are basic and not great. The blocky and chunky and indistinct and not very particularly. The scrolling's okay, I guess. It's smooth enough, but not great. The rest are rubbish. The controls are annoying. The car bounces around um, when you land, which usually invariably lands you in a, in a hazard. Um, you can't, I couldn't find, you couldn't jump whilst going down a slope. Um, did you find that? Did you? Managed to manage that. I don't know if it was just my vote, but yeah, I couldn't same jump, problem. which was annoying because there's rocks on the downward slopes. So it's like you you, you can't jump. From, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, collisions are so collisions are frequent and annoying. And this is just level one. So when you land as well, you invariably bounce. So you bounce sort of like a boing, 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 and you'll invariably you can't jump at this point again. So you'll invariably bounce straight into another collision with something, another object, um, and it's just rubbish. It's just dreadful. It's, it's, no surprise, this got twenty one percent. It is just an ass cake of a game um, because it's it's just unpleasant. Whoever you know put the rocks where they put the rocks. There's no there's no feeling of just letting you complete a course. There's a number of courses you want to complete the first one. Let the player complete the first one and then challenge them with later on. Don't put you know rocks in a place where well they'll jump over this one. Oh, they'll land on the next one because they got oh, they got no choice. And having to learn you know, to jump early and the collisions is crap. So it's just awful. I mean, this this could have been a fun little arcade romp um, with a more inviting on-ramp and better designed courses, but as it is, it's just punitive and annoying and ugly-looking and sounding. Moon Patrol is a good, what, five to six years old at this point? What is it, about 1983, um, I think? But it's still way more playable and enjoyable than this. You know, yep. Arcade variants can be fun. If you look at things like Grand Prix Simulator or BMX Simulator, which are knockoffs of you know Super Sprint, they're all right. We like them. They're fine. There's loads of arcade variants that we've we've got time for that we like, you know. But this kind of thing, which I actually came to think about it, is kind of almost competing in the Kickstart style of game, and it kind of made me think it's Kickstart, kind of like Moon Patrol a little bit, maybe. Is that, is that maybe left to right mm-hmm. sort of thing? And when you you put it up against that, like no, this it's never going to get a look in when you you go play Kickstart or Kickstart Two. Which this kind of game, which is go from left to right and jump over obstacles and stuff like that, without the stupid shooting of helicopters, um, and you know it's way more better. And it's the same price. It's been out ages, so this is crap. I hated this. And if you don't believe me, and you know you should, but if you don't, then there's no reason um, not to. One of our patrons, Buzzit, has written a few words about this, which I'm going to read out. Um, and this was his view um, on okay. Beach Buggy Simulator. Um, first of all, he says, congratulations on a century of episodes, gents. I wish to celebrate your mental endurance with a few short words about Beach Buggy Simulator. He says, as a consumer, it might be reasonable to assume that there would be a beach, certainly a buggy, and maybe some surf music, and definitely some simulation involved with this title. But the developer, Sysoft, decided to trick all of us by making a game set in arid mountains with a deformed 4x4 off-road monster truck, severe bending of the laws of physics, music that sounds like rubbing sandpaper together, and a 100% guarantee that collision detection will have you hitting an obstacle within two seconds of play. With this release, Silverbird have published an unpolishable dog egg that should never have been committed to tape. It beggars belief that Commodore User gave this 5 out of 10. Whatever they were using must have been very strong indeed. Best wishes for the next 100 episodes. There you go. See? Not just me that thinks this. You can't argue with that. Thank you very much, Buzzit. You are absolutely spot on. This is an unpolishable dog egg. Good turn of phrase. What about you, Graham? Did you enjoy Beach Buggy Simulator? No. No, I didn't. From the makers of Galavan. And Knight Rider, no. Crappy Moon Patrol variants have no place in this time. About seven years too late from what I could gather. 
and utterly devoid of any fun of any kind. Because mm-hmm. um, it's not a very good Moon Patrol variant either, which is kind of, because Moon Patrol's all right in of itself. Not like this. Not like this. Not like this. The graphics aren't great. You end up really, you sort of, your beach buggy actually look more like a wheeled shoe. <laughs> um, and it looked like you were driving it across a landscape made of grated cheese. Yeah, it's awful. Um, it might have the same basic principles of Moon Patrol, but that's where it ended. Scoot along and avoid stuff is the plan, but you can't avoid stuff in this because you're always hitting things because it's impossible to do all the things you need to do to avoid stuff. The one thing you're meant to be able to do, you can't. So simplistic, yes, but really annoying with no payoff, even at two quid. This is utter clown shoes. Um, that's my thoughts. Yeah, man, I'm not going to argue with you. It's, it's a proper dog egg. It's rubbish. It's awful. It just, um, it is. Just, you know, yeah, ugly and nasty. Great shoes. It's wheeled shoe simulator. You'd be close, closer to it. <laughs> Yeah, true. Why are you shooting at helicopters? It's supposed to be a fun little beach buggy. June trials. Yeah, exactly. Why are they bombing you with helicopters? Why do Where it are like all these this helicopters at all? coming from? Why don't you look like a June bug? Don't know. Why? Yeah, have they not played? Have they not played Buggy Boy and seen what that looks like? It looks yeah. like a you know buggy thing. Yeah, buggy. Not like this. Mm, no. no, dreadful, no, no, no. awful. There we go. That's Beach Buggy Simulator. It's frigging crap. Um, all right, we've got a couple more games still to come with special guests. So uh, let's take no time. Let's get into those. Okay, and we're into our next game. But this one is not. We've got we've got special guests. It's episode one hundred. Anything can happen. Anything, all sorts, anything. Is, is, it could go on. It, who knows? It's just it's just chaos in the building. We've reached into the universe and plucked out some amazing people. That's what we've done. Yes, that's exactly what we've done. We've uh, <laughs> we, we've done that with our big hand, our fist, the fisto grip. <laughs> is what we've done. I'm not sure I want even I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> no one wants the fisto grip. No, um, they do not. Right, yeah. So uh, we've got one of our, our patrons, Mr. Roger Dodger, um, who has come along and has taken road blasters off our hands for us, of which I might be entirely very grateful. So hello, Roger. <laughs> yeah. You okay? Hello. Good to have you on. Um, Thank you. Always. Excellent. Absolutely. Um, so... Go for it. I mean, tell us, you've got road blasters. You picked it. We didn't force it on you. It was your choice. <laughs> Rose-tinted spectacles. <laughs> it was up to you. So tell us all about road blasters then, Roger. Sure. Um, okay, so road blasters. So this is the US Gold conversion of the 1987 Atari Arcade game. So it's produced by Amazing Products, coded by Martin Webb, graphics by Dennis Webb, and music by our old pal David Whitaker. Martin and Dennis are the team um, who previously bought you the C64 conversion of OutRun, which was covered back in episode 78. He's done his own work. He has. It's always good. More than us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I thought I would go and have a look at the Atari Arcade Flyer for Road Blasters and just see how it was described. So, here we go. They describe it as a futuristic warfare game where the player battles evil opponents from behind the wheel of a high-performance armoured car. That's one, that's one way. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting Mad Max, I think, from there. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Mad Max. <laughs> Aldi Mad Max, I think. Yes. <laughs> so just the game away. involves you driving across 50 courses, trying to get from start to finish without running out of fuel. Along the way, various enemy vehicles, road hazards and gun emplacements try to prevent you from reaching the end. Your car's fitted with machine guns, providing defense against enemy cars and roadside turrets. 
Support jets periodically drop additional special weapons, which if caught provide cruise missiles, nitro injectors and shields in limited capacity. So fuel is your effectively your energy in this game, um, and it can be replenished along the way by driving over fuel pods and successfully crossing each of the course's midway checkpoints. I think if anyone's never heard of this game, the best way to describe it was uh, something I found from an interview with the Atari developers in Retro Gamer a while back, and they described it as a mashup of Pole Position and Spy Hunter. So essentially think Pole Position Viewpoint with Spy Hunter weapon mechanics, which until I'd read that, yeah. I'd never really thought of it before, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of obvious, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd go with that. Mm-hmm. So I first came across the C64 version as a kid, having never played the arcade game. It was part of the arcade muscle compilation, which I still have today, and I brought with me. Look at that. Yeah, oh, look man. at that. There it is. glory. So <laughs> two things about this. That Obviously, target Roblox renegade is... kicker. On the, yes. On the... um, <laughs> What's yeah. happened to him? I, he's... <laughs> Yeah, what can we say? <laughs> Two things about this, actually. Obviously, as well as having Road Blasters, it's also got Street Fighter. And when I picked this up to this afternoon when I dug this out, the quote on the back, with its obviously obligatory 16-bit screenshot, because of the time we're now mm. in at the late 80s, mm. um, it says, from your, from, oh, sorry, not from your Sinclair, from Sinclair user, Street Fighter, thoroughly impressive combat game. <laughs> Which doesn't sound very committal at all, really, does it? Which sums up Street Fighter perfectly, I thought. Um, and Road Blasters, a quote from CV's computer and video games, Vroom, Boom and Doom. So we'll go and oh, see God. what it's all about. God, they didn't really str- struggle in there. Aren't they? What was that, Vroom what? Boom and Doom. Vroom, Honestly, Boom and Doom. That's a Friday afternoon one, I feel like, wasn't it? Do you imagine if that was on the movie poster for Mad Max? <laughs> <laughs> room and doom. But nobody would see that. I'm not going to see that. Humongous would be outraged. <laughs> it's more um, rejected Rice Krispie mascots again, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. That's what it is. It suddenly made me think of that very weird Turkish version of Star Wars. <laughs> for some reason. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'll press on. So, so obviously, yeah, great. I loved it. I, you know, I thought this was pretty good back when I was a kid. But uh, let's see how it looks through adult eyes, shall we? So, the game's pretty much all here. All 50 levels, um, as are the support jet and the special weapons. All the enemy vehicles and hazards are present. The graphics are okay, if a little chunky. All in all, it plays okay. Then, I fired up the arcade version. Christ. <laughs> the difference is literally like <laughs> night and day. Um, yeah. All the elements that make this a compelling arcade game, you'd expect to people wanting to pump your 10 pences back into in the day. They're not, they're not there. Um, no. The speed... No the sound effects, the way the car handles, the musical bursts, which increase tension when you're nearing the end of the level, none of that's here. Why? Well, because the C64 hardware just simply isn't designed to handle a game like this. You know, Road Blasters Mm -hmm. was built on an Atari System 1 arcade platform, you know, 16-bit bespoke arcade platform, trying to attempt this sort of 8-bit micro design in 1981. Pointless. Yeah, the C64 version, well, it's slow, it's ploddy and bland, with little in-game sound aside from basic gun effects, explosions, and alarm noises. There's literally just no atmosphere. It's as flat as a bloody pancake. There is some in-game music from Mr. Whitaker between levels, um, but it soon becomes pretty repetitive if you get that far. The controls obviously follow the usual 8-bit convention we're used to by now. Up to accelerate, left and right to steer with fire for the machine gun. And, you know, as we all know, while it wasn't ideal, that was what it was back on the 8-bit micros in those days. But what I couldn't get used to was the special weapons. <laughs> to activate those, you have to, that's right, pull down. Ugh. Nah. Ah, 
Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, exactly that. <laughs> the fourth input, it has to be used for something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of speed up. Yeah, that's right. Deary me. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think we said this a little while ago, but, you know, kind of... Um, We've got all these kind of like retro joysticks now for the old platforms where you can like, you know, map, jump or whatever to, to another button. Why couldn't we have had something like that with all the useless extra buttons on the joysticks back in the day? But oh well, it yeah. was what it was. But that said, putting criticism aside, I think it's important to note again, as was noted, you know, by Graham and Outrun, you know, Martin Webb was only 17, 18 when he wrote this game. And given the brief given to him by US Gold and the limitations of C64, he didn't really do a bad job. You know, it, it wasn't a buggy mess that was just shoved out the door. You know, it, it did work. I couldn't find any information about the development of this, um, as obviously it wasn't as big a game as Outrun, but I can't imagine he would have been given long to, to complete this. I mean, given the way it was reported he was treated by US Gold with doing the outrun conversion. You know, it's little wonder that this was his last game for US Gold and, you know, he left the game dev industry at 21. I think in summary, I would say another US Gold license cash grab. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm not going to argue much with that, I don't think. I didn't think this was a particularly good game. And I've actually written my first sentence, the lack of atmosphere completely kills this. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just, de- it's deathly dull. Yeah. It's boring. I mean, yeah. the 3D effect, okay, it's fast, it's... It's the, but it's those raster lines, those split raster lines that we get. It annoyed me that the raster lines also go through the white lines in the middle of the track. Yeah, it's awful. Um, and the so, car. So, so and the car. But I also got annoyed by the fact that the trees, they don't move as fast as the update. So the side graphics are not moving as fast as the roadside. It's like, it, yeah. it's, it's like, no, these two things should move at the same speed. Um, otherwise, no, just no. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the controls work, except apart from that down to fire the sea, which yeah, I managed yeah. to do once. And, and then I got shot by one of the roadside things. So I was slowing down because that's what's happened. Yeah. Um, it's a very limited game, this. Yeah. And I think it's got that, like we've said about a lot of Atari games, it's got that Atari punch in the arcade. So the sound effects, the noises, the you know, it's got those basic thing that goes on with Atari games in the arcades. You strip all that out and you're, you're left with, as we've said, with so many of these Atari titles, very little. Um, and this is another example of that. That's what I thought. And also, I don't like racing games or driving games where you don't have to steer. Like, yeah. there's no point in having corners. Might as well have just made this turbo, whatever, the old Sega one. Uh, yeah, it's not a driving racing game. This, I didn't like this. Um, and yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you can cut Martin Webb some slack because of the age and obviously the way we trip. But by my ire, as most of these are, is not aimed at him. It's the publisher. It's US Gold. Yeah. It's just, it's just the more I play these games, or, oh, you know, don't get it started. Because <laughs> it's just p- pissing me off. It's just, just stop it. Stop releasing this rubbish. But did you like it, Graham? Would you, were you no, a fan? No, it's not good, is it? Um, I liked in the instructions that it said there's four unique computer-controlled opponents, which are called stingers, <laughs> command cars, cycles, and rat jeeps. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and, and it says apparently rat, rat jeeps are evasive and unpredictable. I'm thinking they're all evasive and unpredictable in that game, rat jeep or otherwise. Um, yeah, spent ages trying to avoid the toxic spills, the spikers. Oh, it's like just spikers and my spikers. Anyway, it ain't good, is it? I thought it looked it looked like it was obviously built on that outrun framework engine. Yeah. yeah. I mean that, that that opening screen was clearly basically the same as the choose your music screen from um you know, I was expecting to see sort yeah, of it was, yeah, magical sound shower appear and then just disappear. Go, no, no, pay no attention to that. I don't know what that yeah, was. Yeah, you literally <laughs> just had to hold keep holding left, didn't you, to go on the easy yeah. mode or keep yeah. holding right. Yeah. So it had um, that horrible stripey master bar effect. I don't like the arcade has that, but it's green and I think green and green in the arcade. It's green and yes. grey on the Commodore 64 with those crappy trees that just look like, they honestly look, look like turds on sticks. <laughs> yeah. 
It's just, it's just that's what they were. It's what you uh, get from that, the ice, the ice but, cream man that you never want to visit. <laughs> you don't visit that ice cream for those. Um, a, a 99 and a flake. Hang on, give us two minutes on the old 99. Smells like curry. It will do. It will do. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. So... Uh, the uh, so the, the the graphics are sort of it's like looking at a sort of version of an arcade, but not quite the same, is it? It's like because it's eight, obviously it's eight bit. This it's there, yeah, but yeah. not not quite in it. So it sort of looks like it should, but yeah. I don't I'm, know. I'm looking at a screenshot of it now as well, and and the, I'm sure the car it actually looks like it's pulling a wheelie constantly. Yeah, you mean the battle vehicle? This, this, this is more <laughs> more than an ordinary car we're talking about. Sorry, here. Okay, sorry, the battle I'm a vehicle. Battle vehicle. <laughs> Whatever the damn thing is. Um, I mean, I, I thought here that in my uh, little notes that the um, the city in the background looks stupid. The road was too bendy to be a bendy thing. It was too. Yeah. It's too roads aren't that bendy. They'd be dangerous if they were. <laughs> The bottom of this uh, horror lies the vehicle, which looked like the car from the arcade, I suppose, but in the in a really weird perspective that hurt my brain. <laughs> and I was, when it was going around, when it was going around a bend, and I turned, and the, the it was all kinds of wrong. I was like, no, no, the, the car shouldn't bend that way. Yeah, um, it just it, it sort of looked like looked like the arcade in a still. It would in a still, yeah, but yeah, in move definitely. when it moves, it doesn't at all. It's all wrong. Mm-hmm. Really dull, though. I mean, talk yeah. about removing the atmosphere. You know, just it's like. Driving in silence. It's, it's, it's utterly, <laughs> utterly. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, even even your own car is at least the drone of the engine or, we, you know, we a noise. Have, we have whined, so whined, we have moaned quite a lot about the whine of the C64 racing games, but I think I prefer that to this. It's, just silence. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's unnerving. I know, it's like driving um, in a mortuary. The, U, the UI at the bottom looked like the arcade and in terms of its colour. It just looks a bit like it didn't actually do a lot. So they had a graphic there, not much of it moved or did anything. Um, the music, though, I mean, you can't call it. This day. I mean, even by Dave Whitaker loop standards, that's short. <laughs> if I'm going to be re- if I'm going to be really unfair, I'm sure there's like a timing issue when the as the screen scrolls up when the music comes in. It's just like yeah, once yeah, I noticed, I, I couldn't unnoticed. I, well, so, like, I mean, in that respect, yeah. Dave Dave Whitaker is the perfect person to get for this because he is yeah. you know master of the four second sting. He's like yeah, four second loop is- like. But it, his music player must be pretty heavy going for those 15-second loops. It's like, just, uh-huh. just, I don't know. Anyway, what music there is was a bit naff. Yeah. So what you end up with after all of that is just a shell. It's the shell of the game. It controls really weirdly, and it doesn't lend itself to the Commodore 64 joystick. I found myself overcompensating uh, yeah. for everything. So a slight movement meant I was flying and skidding around and flying left to right. Nah, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> no, no. This is not Mr. Webb and Mini Webb. Please, uh, thank you no, know, don't do any more. Enough now. That's enough. Enough from you guys. Go, go, go and see a psychiatrist and reestablish your familiar relationships, but stay away from arcade conversions just because they're just they're not getting any better. They're not. So. Uh, there we go. No, no blasters. No, no blasters. Toad blasters. Toad blasters. Node blasters. Oh, rubbish. Yeah. It's not very Need good. Blasters. It got 59% as well. I think that's massively generous. Yeah. We do actually have, though, just to say, we do have uh, another view on this, and that's from Bastish64. Ah, um, um, and we will play that here. Road Blasters is such a mixed bag for me personally, and was another game I really enjoyed frequently playing at my local beachfront arcade. The graphics 
and manic Atari sound always made it a fun, if very limited, ride in short bursts. As a C64 conversion, it works on some levels and doesn't, but it's nowhere near as bad as the magazines at the time would have you believe. And I think most people reviewing this game never actually played the arcade game before. The Zap review is actually the most reasonable, but I still think it deserves a bit more credit. The coder responsible for it was a really young kid named Martin Webb. This high schooler was given the insane task of converting OutRun and Road Blasters in the same year to the C64. And although OutRun is an absolute mess, I think his Road Blasters conversion is pretty decent overall. The arcade game itself is pretty limited in retrospect. Race, shoot, pick up fuel, next level. It's very much an Atari score chaser of its time, with really flashy visuals. The C64 does a pretty good job of this with the graphics that are quite faithful and decent and the sound effects complementing the action although the music falters out with that terrible title tune with no in-game tunes either which would have added a lot of atmosphere to this game although the original arcade game didn't have any in-game music either so it's still a pretty accurate conversion. I think as a C64 arcade conversion it's mid-tier. It does convey the feel and look of the arcade and this is where the reviews are a bit skewed with the mediocrity really being the repetitive nature of the arcade original, with Webb simply replicating it the best he could. So what I'm trying to say is that simply it's a decent conversion of an honestly very limited playability wise arcade game. I've been Bastish B for the 64k YouTube channel dedicated to the Commodore 64 and all other retro gaming goodness. Thank you for listening to my dodgy reviews, I really appreciate it. And a serious congratulations to Adrian and Graham for a hundred episodes of the Zap to the Past podcast by far my favorite and should be everybody's favorite Commodore 64 podcast. And well done, guys. I hope you have a lot more successful episodes. So he likes it. Does he? Yeah. 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 Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? Sorry, Bastiche. <laughs> maybe sorry, again, sorry. maybe it's the rose-tinted thing from back in the kind day. Kind eyes. He's got kind yeah. eyes. Though. He's, a, he's, a kind, <laughs> he's a kind guy with kind eyes. Yeah. He's, a, he's a kind-hearted yeah. man who, who looks beyond the, the yeah. goof. And yeah, sees the, 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 the beauty the raster things. graphics. Yeah, he's, he's looking past the blocky, chunky vehicle that's hard to control and the oh, yeah. nightmarish, boring, dreary gameplay that doesn't feel yeah. like the arcade. He's looked past that and oh, seen okay. an arcade in all of its glory. He has. Maybe yeah. he's seen the arcade. Important mention here has got to be to AL82 Retro from the Discord channel on his brilliant playthrough channel. I don't know if you guys yes. have been on there. That's my go to yes. place now for like yes. playthroughs. Absolutely. He's played through not only the Commodore 64 version, all 50 levels, hence how I proved all 50 levels, but also the Atari Lynx version. And yeah, wow. He loves it. He must love that game. (laughs) Did anyone ask Atari, did anyone say to them, can you blend these two games into one, please? What we want is Pole Position meets Spy Hunter. And we've gone, no, we're not doing that. No. (laughs) Atari would say no to nothing. Remember, this is Jack Tramiel at the helm at this point, isn't it? Yeah, good point. Oh, of course it is, actually. He'll never never say no to anything, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I I read that on a toilet wall. You know, I I was listening to an interview with uh, Jack Tramiel, and he sounds, at one point in the interview, he sounds like Denomalos from um, (laughs) Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. (laughs) Sounds exactly like, like, well, like him. Looks like him as well. I know, but it's just nice <laughs> waiting for him to go. I hate the robot versions of them. I have <laughs> diplomatic immunity. I hate the really? C64 conversions of our arcade <laughs> games. <laughs> it's a computer them. for the masses. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is.
Oh, there we go. Road Blasters. Yeah, not very good. No, no, no. another another subpar eggy. arcade conversion. Very eggy. Very eggy. Yeah, very eggy indeed. Let's move on to our next one. Oh, before we do that, though, thank you, Roger. Thank you. Thank you for coming and doing that and saving us the time of having to actually yes. write a review on proper review on that rubbish. Exactly. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> it's nice to meet you both, and uh, congratulations on 100 episodes, and congratulations for not, I don't know, collapsing, I guess, after playing <laughs> some of these games. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not but, easy. You know, we committed. We committed to it. Yeah. I feel we will be committed at the end of this. Um, <laughs> well, let's say we, we play these games so you don't have to, except for episode 100 when you play yeah. them so we don't have to, which is yeah. a nice reversal. All right. Thank you very much. No, yeah, thanks thank very you. much. Um, congratulations on 100 episodes. Right, so that was Road Blasters. So, cheers, Roger, for doing that. Um, now, um, it, the madness doesn't stop. But you know, it's it episode one hundred. Um, anything goes, and 100. more woo. goes here. Well, yeah, woo. Um, so, uh, our next game, yeah, our next game is Night Time. But you know, we're not reviewing that. No, we've got no. we've got someone else in. We've got Nick from our Patreon. Um, hello, guys. Hello, hello. Nick. Hi. Hello. Nick. hello. Um, and you've chosen to review Nighttime, the illogically placed middle part of a sequ- of a trilogy um, in, in, the, in according to Zap, which is odd, um, which I don't quite understand. So, uh, uh, yeah, Nighttime. Do you want to tell us all about Nighttime, Nick? Yeah, sure, but I had one joke in, out of my whole uh, notes, and you've uh, sort of pissed on it, really, I'm We can make it work. We'll make it so, work in, in post. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Keep it in. Oh, right. So anyway, first of all, hi guys, um, and congratulations on the hundredth episode. That's amazing. Thank I want to say, I want to say, I know being a patron, like, like the episode comes out on a Saturday, but I always wait, wait till the Monday morning when I go to work, cycle, I cycle in because it's just easier, and I just love putting it on. And I don't know, I just find it really, really therapeutic. But also, <laughs> I love the fact that game, the games ultimately poo now. You can't really play them, you know. <laughs> I, I, that's sort of my favourite thing. It's not. I'm not like looking forward to how good a game is. It's more how bad it's going to be, and when you look back on it, I don't know. That's that's something I really enjoy. Anyway, back on the game. So, night time for Master Chronic 2.99 on the Mad Label. Um, it's the sequel. It's a sequel. It's the fifth instalment of a four-part trilogy. That was my joke. <laughs> Actually, it, 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 it's... <laughs> 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 so, it was, it's the third game in the Magic Knight series, but is it just on the Commodore that it, that it was coming out of sequence, or or was that across God all platforms? Knows. But I know you've covered it, covered it before, anyway. So, the programmer was David Jones, and the in-game music by David Whittaker on the, on the C64. But what I found odd is Rob Hubbard did the specky music. Is that is that common? I mean... Probably Graham, your your sort of knowledge, isn't it? He was doing quite. He was doing quite a bit of one to eight, specky one to eight music at the time, because it had it had a nicer sound chip, didn't it? I think it had the was it was I want to say Yamaha, but I'd need to speak to the SID chip, yeah, AY, whatever it is. What is preferred to the SID chip? No, it's not that he preferred it. I think he just that it was better than what he was. You could actually make music on it as opposed to on the specky forty eight K and the right, whatever you call that sound emitting that came from that. 
Yeah, yeah, cool. Anyway, so here's the, the blurb, the plot. Um, having released Gimbal, the wizard from the self-inflicted whiteout spell, at the end of Spellbound, Magic Knight has been catapulted through time to the future. He has materialized on a 25th century starship, USS Pisces, but has had the good fortune to find a data cube which has reduced his culture shock. God knows what that means. His only chance of getting back lies in finding the Time Guardian, spelled with a Y. I think that's just to, to make the title uh, work. Makes, and yeah. assembling the pieces of the time machine, again with a Y. But the Paradox Police are waiting to arrest him in 30 days' time. Now... I don't know what that means. Mm. Anyway, it's a crazy story. Paradox police. <laughs> Set in space when the first couple of games are in some sort of uh, fantasy land, so I don't know what's going on there. But actually, when you guys read these blurbs, I, I sort of like doze off a bit, and then I just hear the odd word, and you, it's always like really quiet. Because <laughs> really, they're always really surreal and like, I have nothing to do with the game. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> so my knowledge of the game... I actually bought and owned Finders Keepers, which is the first one, uh, 1985, so I'd have been 11 then. And that was a, just one night on a red, on their regular Mastertronic. And I remember it being sort of uh, very specky looking because I think David Jones originally wrote it on a specky and then probably the Amstrad, the Z80 chip, and then ported it to the C64, etc. And I found Finders Keepers was more of a Jet Set Willy style sort of clone really and it wasn't yeah, that's right it, it wasn't yeah there was you know there was all like i know you mentioned other other reviews when you just got odd things just sort of like you know enemies running running around or traveling around you've got to avoid them um and it was the introduction of the wind motion system i know you've talked about it before but that's sort mm -hmm. of the sort of ui performing uh performing text adventure style actions you know pick up glue examine teapot sort of crap in finance keepers it was more <laughs> of a platform a few puzzles to solve. Yeah. So I found it quite annoying as an 11-year-old. And I'd pick up the glue and then you couldn't drop in. It was stupid. And I'd, I didn't get quite very far with it then. So I never played nighttime and I wasn't expecting much. But here's, here's what I found. So I loaded it up, jumped about for a bit, and soon got bored as I had no idea what to do. I would not have been so impatient as a 14-year-old. And I don't think anyway, because I would have paid a few quid for it. If I'd have paid £3 for it, I think I would have given it a bit more. But anyway, I got bored pretty sharp. So I, uh, I watched a few YouTubes and see what you had to do. So you start on board a spaceship. And the first thing you have to do is get recognized as a crew member. So you need a valid ID. This involves finding the camera, the film, removing the invisibility cloak, and get one of the droids to take a picture of you. So once you've got the ID, you can control the USS Pisces, refuel, and then you're meant to collect the pieces of the golden sundial at worlds you can visit. And I say worlds, there's about three rooms in each uh <laughs> yeah sounds right that's like a star trek world yeah you get pieces of the sundial apparently or the golden sundial to make the time machine work so you can get back to the to the land of the original game the uh, days of yore okay okay so after my youtube adventure i loaded it back up i got um i got as far as getting the camera talking to a few of the characters and whatnot and then I got bored again, but uh, that was it. But I think I think as a as a young lad back in the day, I'd have probably enjoyed it. I used to love Jet Set Willy. I used to love exploring uh, exploring Jet Set Willy, walking around. and I used to love text adventures. Actually, strangely enough, especially on my first computer, the Vic Twenty. And I've actually wrote a couple of uh, text adventures in my time. So yeah, I, I would have probably enjoyed it after all. Anyway, so that's what I found. Three pounds. Yeah, there's lots to do, find and explore. Quite like the window motion system. It sort of opens up the story a bit more, makes you interact with characters. Um, I kept pressing es escape when I was uh, trying to use the window motion just because I was on an emulator and it was instant death. So that was annoying. But the controls seemed pretty tight, although there are some issues. <laughs> okay, so the, 
yeah issues walking is slow for some reason it's much easier to jump around left and right yeah 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 for Weird some that. reason which was I, I didn't quite get that sometimes the wind motion is long and winded you end up trying to string a few commands together and if you if you made a mistake you don't you don't want to go down that route you have to get right to the end to say to cancel that was annoying oh, oh, stupid. Still, i think this is my main sort of gripe with it obviously it's a specky port but it was color clash and I, I just don't get why this should have been color clash on a c64 i uh I loaded it up in the C64 debugger and found that it was four sprites to use for the main character, two for the two for to make up the knight, and there was like two to make up a blank underlay under the knight. So so he didn't have color clash, also you couldn't see through his his grill, which I thought was you know that really worked. But why they just did that and didn't bother with the uh, with the other characters, I don't know. Anyway, I got bored and frustrated, and I soon forgot what items I, was, I needed to pick up, where they were, and stuff like that. But I think back in the day, as a teenager with a pen and paper and a bit of imagination, I quite enjoyed it. I'd have made notes and I figured stuff out eventually. So Zap quite liked it. I give it 92% for presentation. I'm not sure about that after the color clash and stuff. Graphics 70%. Yeah, sound 69. Oh, the good thing about the sound, I thought that was quite a interesting thing is you had to uh, use in the window motion where the personal stereo or what it was and then the music would start i thought that was a clever little clever little touch mm. bookability yeah. last ability 89 84 i'm pretty sure they're the same thing i've never quite understood them and overall eight percent maybe a tad higher i thought really but for three pounds yeah it's okay anyway ever since i started listening to the podcast i've always wanted to say this and uh, what did you guys think <laughs> <laughs> very good i love it yeah, Graham, go on. <laughs> well, no surprise really for me. I don't like it um, <laughs> because I don't like any of the stupid Finding <laughs> Night games. Yeah. Um, I mean, this one has a more cent- central, sensible idea, I suppose, of how it operates, but it's not a game I can get into. I, I just find them really depressingly dull and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Talk to the guy, like you say, pick up the glue, talk to the teapot. You know, yeah, and, then just, yeah. and all that. It was too much. Like I know there was a red herring there, and like from experience with the glue in the first game, I knew not to go near that. But I mean, if I hadn't watched the YouTube, I can't see how I'd have figured out exactly what to do instantly. You know, or not instantly, but in a time to hold my attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. They have this knack these games of vagarisms, so they sort of play it a bit too vague, and it makes the the idea is is to sort of extend the puzzle logic of the game but in reality i feel i find that frustrating that it feels like you're not getting anywhere I, I didn't actually play it long enough to die of exhaustion but i suspect you probably do like all the other games of this time and like you say um i like the fact that you called it long wind dimension because it is really long winded <laughs> yeah. so that's yeah, genuinely yeah. how i feel about that because i feel like it's you have to go three steps forward to go three steps yeah. backwards and you can't just sort of quit out like you say. Yeah, yeah, death yeah. is never a good thing. Mm. No, yeah, not, not for me. This, not for me. This. I, I two ninety nine is the only saving grace for this. Eighty percent. I don't bloody think so. What about you, A? Did you like it? <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> loved it. No, well, Magic Knight shenanigans. It's more the same, isn't it? Spectrum style graphics. I like long wind animation. That's good. I'm having that. Um, <laughs> lots of rooms. Probably die of exhaustion. Decent Dave Whitaker soundtrack, I guess. But it's. Just, it's it's one of those Dave Whitaker pieces where you think it's just getting going and then loops. You're like, oh, right. God, Dave, yeah. like you, like Panther. Yeah, you just you just getting into it and it's like this is the beginning, isn't it? Damn you, Whitaker. Um, <laughs> I just you know, go listen to this uh, what we said about Spellbound or Stormbringer because I think what everything we said in there stands here. It's the same. It's just it's another one of these games. These games they are what they are. I mean, 
for three quid, yeah. If it's your if it's your bag, if you like this kind of walking three rooms to the right to find the the egg to put in the blender to do this with the glue and the dirt and the, it's like, oh, great. We've seen loads of these games as we've done this thing, but you know, yeah. as we have both said time and time again, it ain't my bag. It ain't oh, our right. bag. Yeah, that's for sure. Po- pointless and click. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was all like a text adventure in some ways, I'm sure, you know, like, but I don't know. And they were trying to make out, trying to take away the hassle of, you know, I do not understand what you're saying. Talk to so-and-so. I, I don't, yeah. it, they tried to take that out, but it, for me, it was sort of stuck. Is it like a text adventure? Is it a, is it a sort of platformer? And I don't know, it just didn't work for me. Like, I got... I, Found it frustrating and boring. Yeah, I, di- I didn't like this. I found it. It's just a. It's a Spectrum game. You can keep it. You know, yeah, we're, we're, fi- yeah. we're fine. We're fine. Mm. We've got better games than this. Games that play to the system. This ain't one of them. Take it and just go back to your uh, bleeps and bloops. Yeah, and weird that nobody really anticipated with with great eagerness any of the sequels to those games. So. Like this one, yeah. no, no, everyone's going, oh, it's a sequel to so-and-so. It's not like they've gone like with Last Ninja 2 going, oh, great, it's a sequel to The Amazing Last Ninja. Nobody sat there doing, wow, sp- Spellbound sequel, I can't wait. Nobody well, did, did you, that. Did you mention <laughs> earlier about the, uh, or any of the, the other ones about the, that Harry S. Price ripping off Spellbound? You know, Harry uh, S. Price, the guy, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Crime Busters, and I think you have to solve a crime or something. That actually sounds more interesting, you know. That, <laughs> yeah. I'd be more into that, to be honest. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think that's all I've got, really. I'll let you guys crack on, really. So there you go. That's Nighttime, uh, a sequel out of sequence for some reason. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe just that reviewed it in the wrong way. Anyway, it's okay. If you like that kind of thing, it's okay. I don't think we were ever going to think anything more, were we? No, probably not. Anyway, there you go. That's Nighttime. And there we go. That's it. That's our games. We've we've uh, reviewed them. Other people have reviewed them. We've looked at them. We've had music with Gary. We've had loads and loads of people. It's all we been have. cool. That's it. Second so, opinions all over the place. More than that. Sometimes third and fourth opinions. It's Absol- been, absolutely, yes. It's lengthy opinions. Lengthy, loads of opinions. So what have we looked at this week? We looked at the... Uh, the pretty awesome Salamander, um, all things all things considered. We looked at the pretty awful Isera. We looked at the pretty confusing and pointless and weird Blood Brothers. Um, we looked at the pretty stodgy Empire Strikes Back. Uh, we looked at the confusing but good Netherworld. Pretty confusing but good Netherworld. We looked at mm. the pretty, oh, you know, it's not it's not pretty at all. <laughs> it's whiffy. not very pretty. <laughs> pretty whiffy big beach buggy simulator. Uh, we looked at the pretty inadequate Road Blasters and the pretty long-winded Nighttime, um, <laughs> long wind emission. Long wind emission. Yeah, that's what it is, uh, and that's what we've had. Um, so there you go. That's it. That's the uh, you know that's it. Episode hundred. As all 100 things, hundred episodes must come to an end. Um, well, I can't believe we've got to hundred episodes. It's incredible. Episode one hundred. I mean, Jesus. Official episode one hundred. Yes. Yeah. Official episode one hundred. It's kind of crazy. We've played so many bloody games. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it must be into the thousands now. I think. No, not quite. We won't get to a thousand until we're sometime in nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine. I counted them oh, all wow. recently. So, well, right. so I think must be what, it must be in the eight hundreds then. 800s, yeah, well, I think we're into eight hundreds at the moment. I think by the end of nineteen eighty eight, we're about nine hundred and seventy or something. My lord, that's way too many. It is, especially of the high quality we've been experiencing recently. Oh god, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, don't know I don't know what happened. We're supposed to be, you know, this was. Everyone said it gets good. Like now, 
No, we've still got some delights right. to come, but you know, we've we got have some interesting things out there. We have, we have indeed, sort of thing. So, um, in in that uh, thing, what have we got next week? Uh, we've got Slime is Mine. I don't know much about that one. I don't, but it's a ninety four percent silver medal. Then, wow. You know. Okay. Then we've got European Five Aside. Oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm not expecting good things about that. Mickey Mouse. Mm. Who knows? Fernandez must die. Okay. Who knows? Battleships. Right. That's going to be Battleships. Kane 2. Okay. Okay, Sword Slayer. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> Probably isn't. Professional Snooker Simulator, which I'm pretty damn sure, like I said, it's the fourth time we might have looked at that it, game. It can't be the same game. Like, <laughs> I'm hoping not. Unbelievable. Um, and then the oddly, the odd game of 19 Part 1, Boot Camp. Weird. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Like a it's Combat like, School variant or something. I think it is, yeah, but set to the, uh, you know, the 19 song. Kind of missing the point of the song a bit, maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe who who knows but that's it that's what we're coming up next week yeah so that's it that's episode 100 done i'm quite quite proud i'm quite pleased it's kind of cool it's amazing what started off 99 episodes ago um with your your infamous opening words and your opening gambit you know, with, <laughs> with the words we echo to this day really in one sort of more of a you sound in, in the original recording at episode one you sound really unsure of yourself. It's quite funny. Like uh, in this podcast, we're uh, it's like every, yes. no, it's like there we go. We're doing it now. Yeah, it's quite funny. The difference one, is like night and day. It's quite amazing. Yeah. One grows with confidence when one does it hundred times. Um, Always too much salt. I've tasted your <laughs> podcast a hundred times. times. Absolutely. I feel sometimes though that this is you know doing these episodes is like going through a diamond squeezer. <laughs> Painful diamond squeezer at that. <laughs> it really isn't. Gouting out a rock at the other side, um, <laughs> but it's never it's never good. Uh, but there we go. I, I, I think we've got loads in there. Um, I, I just want to say, by the way, thank you to everyone that contributed to this episode. It is incredibly uh, much appreciated. It's been it's been a cool thing having people on, people giving us recordings, people giving us writing, joining us, having a laugh with us. It's 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 amazing, and it's really cool sort of thing because this thing what we created that you're all sort of you know you like it and it's you know it's kind of amazing and I, I just want to say sort of thank you to everyone that listens supports us it's been everything it's all been cool so thank you very much for that like saying that but just you know we are we are shills to the uh, capitalist whore if you wish to uh, join our patreon <laughs> <laughs> you can do if you like this and in future you know you want to ask us questions when we do other special episodes you might want to get on as well come join our patreon you can do that at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for what is essentially four pound fifty that is the uh the the top tier and that gets you access to the discord and ask the podcast and chat and all that kind of stuff and episodes early and and all that kind of thing ad free uh variants and stuff like that so you know that would be really cool if you wanted to come and join that uh, and have some a good time on the discord that's all good so if you fancy that then head over there and do that that would be greatly appreciated i think i'm going to stop now i think that's enough for episode 100 have you got anything else you'd like it. to add no, it's been an amazing journey so far. Long may it continue for another hundred episodes. Yeah, I hope the games do. get better. I'm sure they will. Um, but I've, you know, I've learning a lot as we do all of these things. It's been it's sort of quite the amazing journey. I mean, what? How many episodes of issues of Zappa are we on? What are we on now? Forty one, is it? Forty one. There's um, nine. There's ninety, I think. 91. Yeah, that's what I mean. So we've got we're kind of almost halfway with the issues of Zap, and we've got to uh, literally a hundred episodes. It's quite an achievement that. And you now, and thank you to all our amazing contributors, Patreons. And everybody that's given us the pat on the back and the thumbs up, you kind of are the inspiration for us to carry on doing what we do. 
And of course, the inspiration yeah. for what we did originally, you know, that's why, that's why we do this. So we play these games so you don't have to. And it's really nice that every now and again, you do want to. So it's quite nice. That. So <laughs> although, we tell, that. although we tell you not to. We're not we lying. Try, We're know, not lying. We, we, we spared you from some of the really crap ones this this particular episode. Yeah, we did. That is true. No one played Eyes Era. No one ever should ever again. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Oh, there we go. <laughs> right. So, yes. So thank you for that. We're going to go. Um, as ever... I have been Adrian Mills. I've been Nick James. I've been Gary Wilson. I've been Andrew Fisher. I've been David Hearn. I've been Roger Dodger. And I've been Bastish B. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past through a diamond squeezer. And we will see you again next week where we start the next 100 episodes. So see you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuda, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flakybits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.